If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. And what jersey number are you going to wear, Todd? Y'all going to find out. Y'all find out today. Y'all find out today. Oh, so are you going to wear prime? Did you talk to Dion? He going to let you rock 21? Hey, man, prime. <laughs> prime was hating on me. He told me He told me don't wear it. If I was prime, I wouldn't want nobody wearing my number either. That's Todd Gurley on 92.9 The Game up in Atlanta, I think it is. And uh, <laughs> that was a little bit of a back and forth, right? Yeah. Prime said he, Deion Sanders said he was just kidding around. Uh, well, do you, they, do you think he was, though, really? Probably not. I don't think so either. Yeah. If they don't retire the number, you can wear the number. I mean, it's really on Atlanta more than anybody, right? I it mean, is. I it's mean, not on Gurley hey, or hey, anybody. Falcons, let's go ahead and retire that number, right? Yeah. Simple as that. So, so don't be mad at Todd Gurley. You know, but technically, you know, what's interesting here is like they didn't, they don't retire. And now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't believe they retire the numbers. Like, like uh, Tony Vaselli's number is not retired. He's in the pride. Yeah. But they haven't issued seventy-one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of you know like a, I mean? it's kind of like a respect thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I think I've got that right. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have that right. <laughs> and now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe they haven't. Maybe yeah. they have. Uh, did you ever wear 71? <laughs> nope, just 73. Brent, thanks for bringing those memories back up. Fun times in Chicago. Uh, all right. Hey, here's the question. We're going to get to – we did a mock draft, uh, Action Sports Jacks, over the weekend. I, I want to see if you like it. You're, like, doing one now. I've got you hooked. Well, yeah, I'm tr- – so I kind of – I ended up messing it up. But I had to redo it, but I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Um, you can go crazy with these things. Yeah, we'll be doing them, like 50 of them now <laughs> all the way up until uh, and maybe in the next week or so we'll do one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see what you come up with, which one you like. And also maybe have some of the folks who are listening and, and send them in and kind of see which one we like the best. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just tweet them at us or on Facebook or YouTube, uh, Twitter, YouTube back up and running, by the way, Coos, Coos leaves, did he leave the building? Uh, yep, yeah, he's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, alright. I'm gonna assume that, yeah, back up and run. No heads up, but yeah, we'll, we'll take it for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'll get into, uh, the mock draft we did, and it's interesting because, well, like, we had a plan in the Action Sports Shacks TV department of where to go, and we totally got off the schedule. Of course it did, man. Immediately. Of course it Immediately. did. Immediately. Yeah. And, and once you do that, can you get back on? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. an interesting thing. Uh, we'll also have some trade scenarios, uh, that Bill Barnwell brought up. I thought it was pretty interesting. Je- he brought up trade scenarios for every team in the first round. The Jags were in five of them. Five of them. See, now, two, they I had the just, pick, so obviously they would have been in two of them. I just saw the Washington one, and then I clicked off it. Well, because but you should. That, I agree with you on that one now. Now, because you, you know I'm going to go with it. I, I agree with yeah. you, but I think if you kept reading, some might have been interesting. So we'll go through okay, those. Okay. In a bit. But first, I want to get to Shad Khan, owner of the Jacksville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Been a very hands-off owner, if you will. He's got a lot of other business dealings. Set uh, forget it. Yep. It's, he doesn't even he doesn't live it in Jacksonville all the time. I mean, he's got a place in Chicago. He's got a place here. He's got a place in Naples. He's got he's he's all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. He's got the kismet that he can stay on if he wants. Um, but I mean, uh, from a football perspective, he hired Tom Coughlin to do football things. 
Mm-hmm. He hired Mark Lamping to do the business things, and I think he might delve into the business side even more than he does he X's and O's and player personnel the football side. But he hired Tom Coughlin for that purpose. Well, when he fired Tom Coughlin in December, he said, Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone will report to me. It used to be report to Tom. Mm-hmm. And so what they did there, the positive of that is they streamlined communication right to the owner. You know, because I do think there's a sense, and let me know if you agree or not. Because Tom Coughlin was given kind of the veto power and the, he was the guy, the communication then stems from Coughlin to shot. And, and I think Tony Khan's in the mix in all of this, by the way. But just from a, a simplicity standpoint, if you're Doug Marone or if you're Dave Caldwell, sure, you can talk to the owner. But doesn't it feel like you're going around Tom Coughlin if you talk to the owner without talking to Coughlin first or including him in the conversation? And I don't know if that happened. I don't know if that needed to happen. But something went awry in there, and it was pretty crystal clear that even Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin were not thinking on the same page. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, how does head coach communicate things that might not be going as well as he thinks to the owner? Well, it's hard because then you're going over somebody's head, and in any business, you don't like doing that. That's a dangerous thing. That usually doesn't work out for somebody or maybe everybody. Mm -hmm. So I think what they did is they streamlined communication. But what I don't know yet... But I have a feeling is Shad Khan is more heavily involved with, hey, I like the idea of this. I don't like the idea of that. I'm not sure we should spend money on that. Now, is he saying, hey, I like Chase Young better than <laughs> Joe Burrow? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think he just has, first of all, he's the owner of the football team. He can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He also has always had veto power if he wants it. I just don't get the sense he's used it often. And I wonder now if he will. And I've brought him up a lot when it comes to Yannick Ngakwe. I think he is way more involved in the Yannick Ngakwe stuff than anybody is talking about in town mm-hmm. and across the country. I've been saying that for a couple of months now. I really believe he, the optics of it, the actuality of it, the dollars of it. Now, again, he's getting information from the football people, but I think he's doing more with that information when it comes to the Yannick situation than people want to believe or know or say. What I wonder now is, will he do that with the draft? Could he even do it with free agency or have done it with free agency? He has to. Uh, For the simple answer, he absolutely has to, because I want you to think about this. If you're going to go buy a new house, and I'm sorry, if you're going to go buy a house in general, and let's say that the previous owners lived there for maybe 10 years, right? So you go buy the house, you finalize the paperwork, usually what happens, you're going to go walk through the house and the owners are going to you know, say, all right, be sure to watch out for this, be sure to do this, be sure to do that, because that's the key to buying a house. It's, it's knowing exactly what you're getting and talking to the previous owners. The reason I bring up that comparison is because Shad Khan right now is in the position where if he was to lose Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell next year due to a, you know, kind of a horrid season, which could happen, if he loses, you know, the coaching staff, if he loses the GM, someone's got to be there to welcome the new people in. Someone's got to be that bridge. Someone's got to go, you know what? The 2020 draft, here's what we're thinking. Here's what direction we were going in. So you have to be that bridge. That's why I think Shad Khan more than ever, has to have his fingerprint all over this draft, number one, and all over free agency, number two. Because if this, you know, if this stuff hits the fan and the coaching staff and the GM are out next year, 
someone's got to be around to be like, all right, here's what we're thinking, and here's the direction that we want to go. Think about it now. ShotCon has not talked publicly since, so when was the London stuff announced? Maybe sometime in February? Mm -hmm. And that was the only time he really had talked publicly. He really hadn't said much outside of a statement about the return of Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. So there was a lot on the table when it come when it came to that conversation, that conference call with Shad Khan. And so he hasn't said a whole lot. So we really don't know how he feels about the latest on Yannick Ngakwe. We, we think he likes Minshew. I think one thing that we said right away, and if we go back again, I always bring up that parking lot show on December 31st. And that is when uh, Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell were welcomed back to the team and, and they were going to be here for 2020. And I said, I believe, even when Nick Foles was still on the team, that this is Gardner Minshew's team. I think they told the owner this is Gardner Minshew's team. I think the owner wanted to hear this is Gardner Minshew's team. And again, when I say the owner, I do think Tony Khan is involved in some way, shape, or form. I think he tweeted out this week how much homework he does for the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he tries to lay low and off the radar. He's got the wrestling stuff going on, but I think he's involved here or there. Uh, but ownership does include Tony Khan. And I think... Uh, you know, back at that point, I think the Gardner Minshew move, whether it was going to happen anyway with the football side of things, whether Marone and Caldwell were here or a new regime was here, I think it wanted to be part of the conversation for ShotCon. I believe that. Uh, I think he echoed sentiments in that conference call like we have two good quarterbacks. We have It's a good situation. I think he might have even said it's an enviable situation to be in uh, at the time. Well, now Foles is gone. I think Minshew's the guy. But does that eliminate a guy like Shad Khan saying, hey, get me every good quarterback you can. Jameis Winston is out here. Cam Newton's out here. Uh, I'm not so sure he'd dive into the Andy Dalton and let's trade for Andy Dalton. But the Cam Newton thing and the and the Jameis Winston thing, now that makes sense. If an owner wants to come in and be like, hey, I'll endorse that. Look at these two quarterbacks. Why are we not going out here and making this position as strong as possible? Yeah, I love Gardner. I love everything about him. I think we should give him the chance this year. But why aren't we going to make this stronger? And those guys are still out there. Could he have a say in even simple stuff like that? Well, it's not really simple. It's complex. Yeah. But No, he, he's, he should. I mean, he could and he absolutely should have a say in, in these kind of things because if you go back to last year and whether it was the grievance gate whether it was you know obviously with the Jalen Ramsey thing a lot of the blame fell on Tom Coughlin right and Shad Khan you would assume was you know maybe just on the outside looking into it because he hired people to do that job for him right well now Tom Coughlin's gone okay the the vice president of operations is no more right and now the the communication goes from the head coach to the GM right to the owner so if you remove that communication with Tom Coughlin well then you have to take over for Tom Coughlin right and you have to know exactly what's going on and you have to know exactly what the transactions are going to be and where the team philosophy is going to go so that way if something bad happens you can get ahead of it you can try to give it better optics. So I think with that being said, um, you know, whether it's like a small, you know, move like a trade or whether it's a small move of maybe like, you know, offering somebody more money, whatever it is, I think Shad Khan's got to be in those meetings and he has to have the final say. Yeah. And what's interesting is here, this, this Shad Khan is, is worth billions. I think, uh, just came out in Forbes over $8 billion. He's made a lot of good decisions in his life. Mm-hmm. And, 
I don't think you always need to know the ins and outs, a guy's hand size, his jump off the football, his 40 time to make good decisions. What you do with the decision making is you take what the information that's out there and then you make a decision that way. So therefore, if you're telling me, yeah, Shotgun doesn't know a lot about football, he doesn't know, he, he shouldn't do that. Well, that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. You're talking about making good, sound decisions, making gambles when it's time to make a gamble, the risk-reward of it. And uh, I think, again, I'll go back and say, Yannick Ngakwe's situation, I think he is heavily involved in this. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot has to do with Shad Khan. I think it has to do a lot more with Shad Khan than it maybe even has to do with money or anything else. I think this could be a standoff between owner and player and an owner that just saw this happen last year with Jalen Ramsey said, you ain't doing this on my watch again. Yeah. Or you're not going to make it easy on you at the very least. And I've got some power here. And I think that could take place with Khan, and that's why I believe Yannick Ngakwe will be here in the fall. So then when you go to the free agency guys, I'm not saying he wants Cam Newton or Jameis Winston. I think he really does like the idea of Gardner Mitchell. I think the smart move for this organization is see what you have in Gardner Mitchell. I'm not sure Shad Khan would say differently there. Mm-hmm. But I could also see an owner saying, we got two quarterbacks out there that it's worth taking a look at. How much is it going to cost us? Does that make us a lot stronger this year and maybe even beyond at the most important position in sports? Hey, guys, go kick the tires on this again, especially if they're still around in a couple of weeks and we get through the draft and nobody's been moved. You know, I, I think that's what he can be there for to say, wait, don't forget about this. Don't forget about that. And then on top of it, I do think these important decisions in the draft. Do I think around the fourth round shot cons heavily about probably not. But do I think maybe in that top 20 in that first round, maybe making a big pivotal move with a trade up, a trade back? Do I think he's heavily involved or more heavily involved, I should say, than in years past? I'm going to venture to say, yeah, I think he might be. I don't think he's overly involved. I think he's going to have to have that temperature figured out. But I think he could be more involved than he has for, for the reasons you just said with Tom Coughlin no longer here. And in terms of Gardner Minshew, you know exactly how I feel about the situation, right? We could argue that the only reason Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell still have a job right now is because of Gardner Minshew, right? The, the, Good. That, that was the piece that they dangled out Good. in front of those meetings when they're you know meeting with Shad Khan to keep his job. So if I'm Shad Khan, I'm asking the question, well, Gardner Minshew, I'm intrigued. Gardner Minshew, this is his biggest year coming up to see if he is the guy going forward or not. And I get the whole Cam Newton argument. I get the Jameis Winston argument. You know, they've had moments of success before. But if I'm Shad Khan, I'm wondering, where's Andy Dalton? <clears throat> Does he make Gardner Minshew better by bringing Andy Dalton in? And I think that the you know the overstatement is obviously yes. Yeah, well, and that's a good one. See, I didn't really think about it from the Dalton thing just because it's a little more complex, and I think that's got to do with Gruden as well as you know anybody else. So uh, that will be interesting to see if he says, well, hey, that makes sense. Again, I think it's an interesting spot because I don't think Chad Khan's done it very often. Now, maybe he's done it more than I think. I don't think he's done it very often. I think he he's the kind of guy to me that hires people and says, do your job and do it well. And then you're accountable for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way he's been. I also think it's if the owner (laughs) gives me at least a little nudge. I think it's really hard if you're Dave Caldwell, Doug Barone, those kind of guys making the decisions to go against it. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> especially he's giving him ample opportunity to survive. Yeah, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, Shad Khan, you're calling the shots. So you can see, I think Shad Khan, the, the problem that he's had before is like he, he's seen his team go in turmoil. But you could argue, well, how much input has he had on it? 
you know? And like, this is the final year where it's like, all right, well, this is, it's going to be in my way. It's going to be in my image. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least I'm going to go down with the ship knowing that I had the input this year. It was my decisions, not somebody else's. Yeah, and, and I think the other part of this, too, think about Shad Khan as an owner, and I think people will be very critical. I get it. But he's now been an owner for like eight years. So he's learned a lot through this. This has been different. This is, he's a business guy. He doesn't have to learn anything about. But the football side of things, the NFL, everything, how it works, I think he's been open to that. And that you learn some things through the years. And so I, I – I wonder if he feels more of a comfort level and uh, wonder if he says, you know what, now's the time for me to – got to do more here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've got I've to use a little bit of what I'm good at to help these guys out too. I can do that. We can have a mix of that. Really curious. I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to it, by the way. Yeah. It's just something I was thinking about this weekend a lot, and I do think, especially around that quarterback position – because one of the things we were talking about, you know, Mitchu has so much value from a business standpoint, right? Remember, Shad Khan was not a hey, no, 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 don't touch Tim Tebow. Hmm. Shad Khan was like, eh, what the heck? You know, I forget the exact conversation, but he certainly wasn't against it. In fact, I think he was an advocate for giving it a whirl. But was that more from a skill set or from a more selling tickets? No, that's what I'm saying, from the business side of it. But Gardner Minshew fits that business side. Mm -hmm. As much as he might fit the football side, he certainly, at least right now, fits the relevant and business side. Well, you know who else does that out there? That's what I was thinking about. It's Cam Newton. I mean, Cam Newton has star potential, man. Yeah. I mean, if if you're... a guy running a business and not winning football games, but then can there's you, value. Can you argue Jameis Winston as well? He's, he's, he's a Florida State guy. He is, but he, he, if I he, asked you, a, he went to a university in Florida and then played in Florida as a professional. I could argue that the last five years after 2015, Jameis Winston maybe did better than Cam Newton. I don't have the numbers in front of me, <laughs> but it's just a feel that I say, okay, I can argue that mm-hmm. uh, after he went to the Super Bowl. But I still think if you asked teams around the league from a marketability standpoint, from a superstar potential standpoint, I don't think it's even close. I think Cam Newton brings an impact to your team from a name recognition, star potential, all that kind of stuff that I don't think James Winston brings that. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's on a different level. Uh, and, and again, how much does that matter? I don't know. I just think it's worth, it kind of got me thinking about shot again and his impact on maybe more of the football decisions. And I'm not saying about it. You'll be really careful when you think about this stuff, because when you talk about it, it sounds like, okay, what is this? Barnum and Bailey circus? No, I'm not saying that, but it is a business. Relevance is important. Good football teams and winning certainly wins the day. And I think he understands that, too. We saw that in 2017. If you want to win, you can be as relevant and big as you want to be. And by the way, you got a quarterback here in town that could be king of the world if you win and he plays well. I'm just going to make the argument, though, Brent. With with Cam Newton coming to Jacksonville, does it do something for your ticket sales? Does it add a little excitement? Possibly. But what is the end goal of bringing Cam Newton in? Like you're trying to sell more jerseys? You're trying to increase the business a little bit? Well, you're playing two home games in London right now, so business isn't good regardless. So I would say the, the key focus should be trying to win games and to try to cultivate Gardner Minshew. If you do bring in Cam Newton, whether it's for just a year or a trial run or whatever it is, the fact of the matter is if Gardner Minshew isn't the guy that we thought he was this year, Brent, coming up, 
That's fine then. Then you draft somebody in 2021. And then what are we going to be doing on a Monday in 2021 after the draft? We're going to be talking about, well, I guess they got Trevor Lawrence or, you know, the, the guy from Ohio State, and they got Cam Newton. What's going up with Cam Newton now, right? Because Cam Newton's not going to be starting in 2021. The first-round pick's going to be starting. So to me, you're trying to bring in this giant Band-Aid in Cam Newton when you don't need it. It's just a small cut, man. Bring in Andy Dalton, see what you got with Gardner Minshew, and then move on after it. Yeah, I, I just think do we have to assume that Cam Newton, who does not have a home, by the way, right now in the NFL, even though free agency got kicked off a month ago, why do we have to give Cam Newton a two-, three-, four-year deal worth $80 million? I mean, Cam Newton might be less expensive at this stage because you're gambling on injury yeah. than Jameis Winston. I mean, why can't it be a one-year show-me deal? Right now he's got nothing. I mean, if it is a one-year show-me deal, though, what happens if he doesn't get in at all? Well, you he, took that risk. I mean, he's got to take the chance, too, man. He is saying it. Yeah. I, 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 again, I haven't been an advocate for this. I'm just saying that's how I got thinking about Shad's involvement. Mm-hmm. And from a football sense, would I say, yeah, Cam Newton? No, I want to see what we have in Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. From an ownership sense, most important position in sports, pack it with as many good players as you can. Well, maybe there's not as much harm as... As we might think. When we come back, a couple of trade proposals. Bill Barnwell, ESPN, he did some work here. Do you like any of them? Next on ESPN 690. I'm incredibly disappointed in Dak Prescott. We're in a national crisis right now, a global crisis, to be quite honest with you. A whole bunch of people are dealing with this. You have executive orders from the governor. But if you're Dak Prescott, who's obviously buying to be arguably the highest paid player in football and what have you, why would you put yourself in a situation like that to have headlines like that being circulated all over the place? Why would you do that? Stephen A. Smith on Dak Prescott uh, and I think Ezekiel Elliott getting together. Mm -hmm. You got to be, listen, if you're going to do that stuff, you better be careful doing it and not getting it out. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, you shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're in the public eye. I, what I don't like right now is the, you got to judge everybody, like whether it's, you got to wear a mask or you got to do this. So what I guess you got to do is what people recommend and, and, and uh, the right thing, you know. Uh, that being said, Dak Prescott also is probably like, yeah, I'm about to sign a hundred gazillion dollar contract and you guys will be killing me in the fall because I didn't get my work in. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's reality. I, I mean, if you're especially if you're an athlete, it's like, well, what do you mean you weren't ready? You didn't get working. You missed this. You didn't perform at a high level. You didn't, Well, but you still got to uh, adhere to everything. You know, mm-hmm. are, are people still getting swings in and, and throwing passes and. Yeah, I just say you got to still do it. Can you do it in a safe environment or can you do it in your house or can you find a different way to do it? And by the way, if you're doing that kind of stuff like Dak was doing, don't let it get out there. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. I mean, keep it off the interwebs. Um, it's simple as that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make it, it – it's just not the right thing to do right now. And, and no, so, And no. especially when you're in the public – you're going to be judged. Everybody's being judged. Um, on that kind of stuff, I, I don't know if I like that part of it. Listen, it doesn't help anybody out being judged no. by everybody, but that's the way it is. And I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but if you're a quarterback and you can tell the difference between zone coverage and man coverage, you should be smart enough to realize, you know what? Let's not let any of this get out. Like, if we need to, you know, make these drastic um, ideas and you know, and kind of break the rules a little bit to get our work in, then so be it. 
but just make sure it doesn't get out. You know, just make sure that nobody can see it and, and do it in, in silence, um, you know, in your own privacy. But, of course, we live in the, in the day of it, especially when we need things to talk about. That's going to come out for sure. So not a good look on his part, obviously. But like you said, Brent, where if he didn't do that and all of a sudden, you know, he gets this much money, he doesn't play that well to the start of the season, people are going to be like, well, maybe you should have spent your offseason training more. So, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. A little bit, but uh, right now I think you got to be doing the smart thing and the right thing, and oh. and you know, in your public figure especially, I mean, you get a chance to lead by example mm-hmm. and and help the cause more than hurt it, and that didn't help it. So, all right, here we go. Trade proposals. See if we can rifle through these really quick. Yep. Uh, Bill Barnwell putting him out on ESPN. I mean, man, the work that went into this. Nice job, Bill. Um, I love the work that went into it. Trade value to me is still one of the most confusing things, and I think each team <laughs> values it differently. And I know there's a chart and all this stuff, but what's the chart for? From 10 years ago versus today. So Bill made it easy for us. All right, so here's the deal. He, he presents a mock draft, essentially, but with all trades. Yeah. And, and who would trade who? Well, the Jags are involved in five of them. This is the one you read and you didn't like, and so you stopped reading. Really nice done. job. I was done. I mean, gosh, will you be more hey, thorough? The Jaguars are going to just go ahead and read it. All and right. Then I'll get to my point. So here we go. Washington gets Jan, the ninth pick, the second round pick, which is number 42, and next year's first round pick. That's a lot. Yeah. For and what? the Jags get for, next for, for year, though, Brent? the second pick yep. this year. Yeah. So Washington's second pick and the 2021 second round pick. Yeah. So they essentially switch second round picks this year versus next year. But the Jags give up Jan, their first round pick this year, and their first round pick this year to get to number two. But who do they take with number two? What did he say? He says quarterback. See, and then, everybody's and, and still I was hot done. on the quarterback. And then I was done. But do you even like this if they took Chase Young? Yes. Oh, you absolutely. Do. Well, I feel oh, like it's a yeah. ton of draft capital, man. So essentially, you're giving up. What is it again? I'm so we're so the first one. We're giving up uh, the first round pick. This year, our first round pick this year, and then next year as well. So two first round picks for Chase Young, essentially. And Young. And Young. Yeah, see, that's you, a, that's you a, that's have Jan little... under control. I understand you don't have a deal worked out. I understand you got an unhappy camper. Yeah, but you still have him. See, and, that's and again, little... I'm playing a little bit of rolling the dice and saying Jan's going to play for 18 million. Mm-hmm. That's my mindset. Yeah. I understand you can't control that, but that's my mindset. So now you're giving up. Essentially, you think Jan's worth at least a first round pick. I so think now you're giving first up round three. Pick. Yeah. So essentially, what I'm going to do get is Chase Young. I'm getting Chase Young, and I'm asking for Trent Williams, and then you have a deal. That's where it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. What's interesting with Washington is they don't really need Jan. They've, we've nope. talked about this before. They've got Kerrigan, Kerrigan, but that's a lot of other draft capital to take on Jan. Well, then I guess you could argue, like, do they trade Kerrigan or something, which would make no sense because that Kerrigan's guy's been a captain. Now, but yeah. he, he's, been the, he's been the guy in that locker room for a long time. I just can't see them trading him. So I don't think This is a good yeah. deal for Washington, by the way. Oh, it's a fantastic deal for Washington. Once again, I don't think the Jaguars trade up that high to get a quarterback, number one, and number two, they don't get that much capital away just to even get Chase Young, I guess. Okay. Uh, Kuz is saying we got to take a timeout. So before I get into the next thing, we got more of them. I think yeah. they get better than this one. To me, that's too much. Yep. Jan and all those drafts, uh, it's too much to go get Chase Young, I think. Now, if you're going to get your quarterback... I just don't think you'd, I wouldn't do that this year. I can do the same type of thing next year. You would do it for Trevor Lawrence next year. I mean, probably every single day except, you know, or twice on Sundays. But Tua, I know, man. Heck, it's just, Tua might drop to you at nine. I know. I know. I, I think that's foolish to go up in this situation. I like Chase Young. 
I just think that's a heck of a lot of capital to give up. Well, and ask yourselves this. I mean, does Washington really want Chase Young at number two? I, I get it. Kerrigan's up there in age right now, but do you think they could try to trade out of the spot just they because might. a defensive end's not their top priority right Listen, now? Listen, it would be a smart move because they can build their team faster. Keep in mind, the Jacks trying to build their team, too. To give up that much draft capital is a lot. We'll get better scenarios than that one, I think. I hope so. According to Bill Barnwell, coming up next on ESPN 690. Both ankle injuries that he got, and even his hip injury this year, uh, were, were all because, uh, you know, he was trying to make a play when the play had broken down. And it, it really, there wasn't anything there. And to throw the ball away sometimes is okay. Uh, as long as we end every play in a punt, uh, in a kick, whether it's a extra point field goal or a punt, we, we can survive. Uh, but we don't need to be losing our quarterback because you're trying to make a play when there isn't one there. And he didn't do that part very often, but he always tried to extend plays and sometimes uh, to no benefit and put himself in harm's way. <laughs> These coaches, man. <laughs> they just can't hold back. Uh, well, especially that coach. I know. It just, uh, I love the Belichick and Saban. The, the characters those guys are. Like, have you seen the stuff where they're just learning how to email? And Belichick, I, I think, was on a conference call today or some, uh, somehow he had some quotes I saw come out. And it was, yeah, I started on the first floor of this, uh, or maybe the basement, like just learning the technology part. It's like, my goodness. Uh, you know, and I get it. See, I do think it's real. My mom's a little bit like that, to be honest. I mean, she sure. does not. She doesn't do the Facebook thing. Emailing is okay, you know, but she got a phone now. Doesn't good, text. Good, good to hear. Yep. Um, so I like, and she's in their age group, you know. Um, now others have adapted to it just fine, and others kind of don't want to. And I, I get it. Like Saban and Belichick strike me as those guys. Like I don't have time for this. Uh, and and in some ways it's probably good, mm-hmm. but uh, they are just such characters. And in this sense, where it's almost like you're not supposed to say a bad wor- thing about a player, it's almost like he's still kind of mad at Tua for running around and getting hurt as much as he did, and especially last year, kind of costing him a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much yeah. as he loves the guy, bitter, you know, bitter. <laughs> he loves him. I mean, so I'm not saying he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But he just can't help himself. He cannot. Yeah, I mean, like, listen. He's going to the draft, man. He's getting ready to, well, it's not going to be, you know, in New York this year and everything, but he's getting ready to get drafted in the first round, obviously. Probably going to be a top five, at least a top ten pick. He's going to represent your university, quarterback out of Alabama, and you're just ripping on the guy? Yeah. You, you just can't uh, support it's a, it's a him? soft rip. Well, I mean, it was a passive-aggressive Nick Saban rip. Yeah, Take yeah. it for what you want. It was. Yeah. Uh, all right, here we go. we got to get through these. Then we got Eric Adelson coming up. Uh, it, it, it's some fun stuff with Eric uh, in just a little bit. Um Coos, you okay over there? <laughs> I heard Coos. Did I hear Coos? We, we, we have some breaking news, man. We do. Christian McCaffrey. Schefter just tweeted about Is it. Is it the right Schefter? Now be careful Uh-oh, in Coos. times oh, like these. No. I'm going to laugh if it's not. Be careful. Do you want to share it? This is fantastic. We, we, we need is to have it, a breaking news button. We really do. Is it? Da- oh, okay. Uh, four-year extension, no, yeah, $16 million per year. Huh. Highest paid running back in NFL history. As yeah, he you know what? He, he's like 95% of their offense. I know. <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah. There you go. Christian McCaffrey gets paid. Helps all Props running backs out. Absolutely. He's unique, though, with everything that he does. The question is, can he touch it that many times and continue to get it done? Correct. Do, you, right. do you think Derrick Henry gets more? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Well, okay. Simple. Okay. Wow. You're very adamant about that. No. 
Okay. I, I, for several okay. reasons. One, he's not as dynamic as McCaffrey. That is correct. Uh, and two, people will wonder for as long as possible. It doesn't matter if he plays until he's 40. Mm-hmm. They'll wonder if he can play in the longevity at the way he plays. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though he's proven that he can in high school and college and now in the NFL, he can take the pounding. But people will always wonder, especially with the running back position. Okay. All right, we'll get to more on those guys. I like that conversation, though, uh, and maybe how it pertains to even Fournette when he gets his next contract. Did he just make Fournette some extra money and all running backs more extra money? Chargers and are picking number six. This trade proposal with Bill Barnwell okay. says they trade with the Jags, and the Jaguars move up to the sixth pick. They give up the ninth. They give up their second round and a third round pick in 2021. Now, it's not that bad. But what I wonder is, and this is, again, has to do with the quarterback or take a Derek Brown because Carolina might like Derek Brown. My, my thing about this one is, why would I, if I'm the Jags, who can pick cornerback, offensive line, defensive line, or wide receiver and feel good about it? Yeah. Why do I need to jump up? Why do I need to give anything up? So they're to trading. jump up three spots. Hey, if you take Derek Brown, man, dang it, I had him on my board. I liked him. Akuda, he's already off the board. Dang it. But you know what? I got five other guys that I like in positions of need. Why do I need to give up any kind of draft? That second round, 42nd pick could be a big pick for me. So they're trading with the Chargers. Yeah, it would be with the, the Chargers. Only way, and listen, I'm not going to be opposed to this under one circumstance. The Lions take a quarterback at number and three. And there. And Akuta's still there. Then, like if, then if you're Jacksonville, go for it. Now that See, and here's the thing. If Akuda's like my best guy on my board. Ooh, Akuda. Yeah. Right? Yep. Then it's maybe it is worth it if you feel that strongly about it. Here's what I want to be a little careful from the Jags, and I think they will have a hard time of doing this. I was going to stay down at Jags headquarters, but yeah. they're not going to be. How much does ego and emotion come into play to say, "Hey, we're replacing Jalen Ramsey. We think this guy's Jalen Ramsey," mm-hmm. and do, and do you go overboard to try to do that? Heck of a player. Yeah, but get Jalen you know, Ramsey I mean, out of your mind. You already won that. You don't have to deal with the headache. You don't have to pay him a hundred million, and you got two first round picks and a fourth. Sure. That doesn't mean you have to use one of these picks to replace him. You don't have to. You don't have to. But if you think Okuda's that guy, then by all means, please do. Now keep in mind, you might be adding a little extra added pressure to Okuda because people are going to expect Okuda to come in right sure. away and be a Jalen Ramsey. You played with but, a guy that had pressure. Yeah. Yeah, but. If you think that, you know what, he's going to be legit and he's he's going to be a, a star going forward, then you absolutely have to make that trade, in my opinion, because a, a, a dynamic corner like that, Brent, you have to pull the trigger on it. And, and keep in mind, uh, Akuda's Barracudas has been trademarked already, so get ready for the T-shirts <laughs> as well from ESPN 690. Can't wait. Listen, I don't hate it, but again, dude, the Jags need to move up when they have positions of need all over the place and plenty of players on the board, I guess, would be my question. There's got to be some major separation for me to move up. I agree with that, but at the same time, how often can you in the draft get the, the number one by far top-rated cornerback? It's rare. That's true. And if you can get him, I say you get him. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, at number nine, the Jags trade back. This is when I start to like things. They trade back to number 14 with the Bucks, and they get another second-round pick, mm-hmm. and they get a fourth-round pick. This and, up and coming this year? Yep. Okay. And the Jags give up a fourth. So they basically swap fourths. But the Jags... Give up the ninth pick, they drop back to 14, and they get an extra second rounder. Yeah. I'm okay with that, man. Not mad at that you know at why? all. why? Because offensive linemen, and, now this probably rules out Kinlaw and those guys, but C.J. Henderson Maybe could Kinlaw. be in play. Yeah. Kinlaw could be in play. Mm-hmm. And one of those offensive linemen probably still in play, and I would say one, if not two, if not three of the receivers are still in play. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not mad at that at all. Um, Love it. 
I would. I love it. I would love it if Kinlaw's there because then you can you know wait till number twenty to get the receiver or you know in the second round use one of those picks to get a receiver as well if you want to offensive line at number twenty. So. I love it. Well, once again, if the, if, the, if the right opportunity presents itself. All right. Now, uh, here's another one. Denver trades up for the Jags' number nine pick. And the Broncos also get a sixth rounder from the Jags. They get okay. the ninth and the sixth rounder. Jags drop back to number 15. But they get an extra third, two extra third round picks. I should have kept on reading this. 77 and 83. I told you. They get I should have kept on reading this. Keep singing. I like your tune, Brett. So, again, the Jags now go from, if I like them going to 14, <laughs> although I like the Hall a little bit better with that second round pick, I think, from Tampa. But now they get two third rounders and the 15th overall pick. And I think the Jags can do the same thing, right? Receivers, mm-hmm. corner potentially with Henderson, offensive linemen still on the board potentially. I don't mind it. I'm not mad at that all either, yep. Uh, and then the last one. And let's see if you like this one. Now we're taking the number 20 pick, okay? Now this includes Ngakwe. See if you like it. The 20 pick goes to the Jets. The Jags get the Jets' number 11 pick overall. So they have 9 and 11. And they get a third rounder. <sighs> and the Jags give up number 20. And they give up a fourth round pick and Yan. Okay, so let me do that again. So the Jags now have the ninth pick that they own, mm-hmm. the 11th pick in the draft of the Jets. Instead of the 20th pick, they give that up. They get a third rounder. They give up a fourth rounder, but they also give up Jan. So they're basically coming up nine spots, and it costs them Jan in yeah. doing so. Do you know what would be the ideal situation out of that? And I would, I would live stream if this happened, Brent, I would go right to the, the cell Careful phone and be like, these kind of I know, right? I, I would live stream and I, and I would mind my manners. But if Akuda somehow fell to number nine, you get him. And then Kinlaw's there at number 15. You take him. And then you wait to the second round to get a guy like possibly a T. Higgins or somebody. Maybe even like, I'm sure Higgs and Judy would be gone by then, but you get a, a wide receiver in the Rugs, second round yeah. way up there. Whoo boy, Brent. Now we're cooking with gas. Now, now we're now we're talking about something. Now I'm excited. So once again, I like that trade, um, assuming that it all fell into place. The first trade I don't like with Washington. I think well, that it's was too the one much that capital. Article. You yeah. didn't even Wait, read. Didn't after even that. read. I'm like, no, nope, no. And you made a big mistake. I did because the rest of the trades are fantastic. But but all I saw was Tua trading up to get him, and I was triggered, and I was gone. Listen to the entire story, man. I, I know, I know. But the rest of them are okay. I still don't love moving up with the Chargers. I don't think the Jags need to move up. Mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying about Akuda. If they absolutely love him, or maybe they rank Derek Brown as the first or second guy on their board and say, hey, we don't want Carolina getting him. Depending on how much you have to give up, especially early picks, I'm just not a fan of giving up those first and second rounders. Uh, the intriguing one from a value standpoint is that Jags and Jets trade at 20. So you tell me the Jags now have number 9 and 11, and it cost them Yannick Ngakwe, essentially. Yeah. Mm. L- l- let me ask you this. You know, the tight end position right now, you got Tyler Eifert, you got Josh Oliver, um, essentially coming into his first year, right? I'm still going to call him. I mean, he's not a rookie on paper, but he didn't get a lot of playing time, so he's still learning the game, still learning the position. Out of these trades, especially with with the trades of like Yannick Ngakwe going someplace else, do you look to try to throw in a tight end there from the opposite team? Like, for instance, Denver, right? They're in the trade talks. Well, Denver's got five tight ends right now, right? Like, they got obviously Noah Fant. I'm you know, not going to get rid of him, but like Jake Butt, Trife, Fumagalli, uh, Jeff Hewerman. Like, there's a couple guys that, listen, they have four, I mean, tight ends that have got some significant playing time. 
You can't have four tight ends at once. I don't care for the Baltimore Ravens, three tight ends. So do you try to work that in the trade a little bit, Brent? It's, I don't mind. It's not going to hurt. I don't right? mind. Yeah. yeah, give me a body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take a body because then if you give me a body like that, then I don't necessarily have to go get Cole Komet or someone like that, Yeah. whether it's second round, third round, or, or try to find that tight end. Because I still think they need to find another body in the tight end room mm-hmm. in this draft, even though they did uh, get uh, Tyler Eifert in free agency. All right, we're going to take a, a break from the trade scenarios. I like that. Bill Barnwell, nice job. Uh, Bill, putting those I'm out sorry, there. man. I'm, I'm sorry I doubted you. The lesson here is... Read until the end of the book. Kids. Hey, friend, I have a 10-3 broad jump, okay? Sometimes I jump to conclusions, <laughs> and that's exactly what I did here with Bill's article. Bill, I apologize, man. We are celebrating a big anniversary today here on the show. You know nothing about it, Austin Lane. I do not. But our next guest knows everything about it. Augusta National member <laughs> Eric Adelson joins us. It was five years ago. We didn't even know each other. We get on the first tee at Augusta National. And we teed it up, played 18 holes of unforgettable golf, and here we are, friends forever. Eric Adelson, how you doing, man? What's up, Brent Austin? How are you guys doing? We're doing, doing great. great. I hope man. you and the family are doing well, and the kids and everybody uh, in Central Florida. Uh, you tell everybody about that round of golf still? Oh, man. Um, well, I still can't <laughs> believe it happened. I'm not a huge golfer, and Brent, you know this from actually playing around. Uh, with me, but they have a lottery every year uh, for media members, and I was a I was a last minute sub. Dan Wessel almost always covers the Masters for Yahoo Sports, and he couldn't go because he was covering the Aaron Hernandez trial, uh, and so I got the nod and I went. And they had this lottery, and I'm like, I mean, why not? I'm just going to throw my name in there. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I won. I got in. And um, I, I realized a few minutes after I won, I didn't have long pants with me on this trip. <laughs> you, have, <laughs> you cannot get on the course unless you have long pants. And I also didn't have cleats. I mean, uh, golf shoes. I didn't have a golf glove. I didn't have anything. I mean, I wasn't going there to play. I, was, I had my notebook and my suitcase. That's it. So the next morning, at like seven, and, and this is why, while Brent, you know, Brent's an ace, right? Brent's got everything ready to go. Oh, while this is doubt. happening, yeah, uh, and he's a ringer, right? I didn't know this; I hadn't met him yet. But I was out <laughs> at Dick, I was out at Walmart getting a, a pair of Dickies pants. Um, awesome. This guy's like my <laughs> best friend. I'm telling you that right now. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got my Dickies pants that are like. The cheapest, like, literally these are, like, flammable. Like, if, if, if there's dry heat at Augusta, like, my, my pants would explode. So <laughs> I, I, I wear the, my, my Dickies pants. I get, I, I get a golf I, I buy uh, sleeve balls and just, like, I have to make these last. Um, and then I go to the course, and, I mean, it's just majestic. I mean, it's like being in heaven. I mean, the, the, the grass is so... Beautifully manicured and everything is just—it's spotless. It's immaculate. I mean, you could just w- walk on the course and it feels like a dream state. But of course, I have to play, and I hadn't swung a club in—I mean, months at the very least. And I get out there on the first tee, and, and I'm meeting Brent and Matt, and you know, these these are obviously great guys, okay? But they've played recently, and I'm like. 
just connect. All I care about is connecting with the first shot. That, that's all. I'm literally praying that I just connect and don't whiff. Okay, so I'm standing <laughs> over, taking a couple practice swings. You know, it's so quiet. You look out, and you're, you're, just, you're getting flashbacks of, like, Nicholas and Palmer and Woods standing where you are. And I'm like, just hit the ball, backswing, and I connect with the ball. And for a split second, guys, I'm like, I did it. I hit, I hit the ball on the first tee. I don't care what happens next. Then I look up, and it's this nasty slice that hits the billboard. Like, hits the scoring board on one. <laughs> like, square in the middle of the, billboard, the scoring uh, board. And... It's the loudest noise. It's like a thunderclap where everyone on the entire property is like, what just happened in this little corner of heaven that ruined the the majesty? <laughs> and it's dude hitting the ball off the scoreboard. Um, fortunately, Brent and Matt continued to play and were very nice to me, but um, it was half humiliating, half Awesome. I'll tell you, that was, uh, I'm glad you shared that story. I wasn't going to share it, but did they ever bill you for that board? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, I could barely afford the Dickies that I bought that morning. So it's like, you know, uh, yeah. That. I owe that round. That round, which was good, but I was nervous on that first tee because you're around oh. some other folks and you're talking even... about a confidence booster when the guy takes one off the billboard. I'm not going to lie. Oh, you're feeling good, though. I don't want to say it, but I think I'm part of my like little storybook that I wrote after this round. I yeah, give yeah. Eric a lot of credit because yeah. he made me much more calm. <laughs> for sure, man. <laughs> so, we had a great time. Matt Lincoln was down at West Palm Beach and now doing news. He's on like dark side, uh, but he played that day uh, as well. Haven't kept in touch with the fourth member of our team from Sports Illustrated, wasn't he, Eric? Yeah, you know what? I have to say, I don't remember. I mean, it shows you the impression that you and Matt made on me, <laughs> especially on 16. I know I'm on this show just to talk about 16, which is the famous Tiger Woods hole. And Brett snaked in this gorgeous, it was really the second best golf shot ever hit on that behind Tiger Woods. <laughs> Brent's, Brent's now paying our guests to say stuff about him. Unbelievable. Yeah, right. Cut the check, Brent. He's not wrong. Cut but, the check, it man. Was an un- it's a shot of my life. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. By the way, Brent, uh, my Venmo is no. Um, exactly. So, okay, and I, as, as the journalist I am, you know, because I am a journalist, I was videotaping with my phone that shot. So I still have a video of that incredible Vern Lundquist quality uh, putt that that uh, that Brent made from the top of that green, and that that was the that was definitely the shot of the tournament. By I mean, I did bogey aim at corner, bogey, bogey, bogey. So I tell everyone that. But the shot of that round was definitely Brent. I think. By the way, if we, <laughs> if we take that and out and tweet it, Jim Nance, maybe he can like put some uh, voice under it. Oh, now we're because talking. Because Nance's go. got a lot of time on his hands. Absolutely. So uh, we might go. have to do we that. Do. Eric Adelson with us. Uh, by the way, uh, what do you teach at, at Florida? You're an adjunct professor, so you, you're teaching. Are you still teaching right now in these times? Yeah, no, I uh, I don't teach golf, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I teach... Um, uh, sports journalism um, at the University of Florida, which is a, a, just a, a fantastic journalism school, which I'm very proud to be even a little bit a, a part of. Um, but, yeah, uh, we've shifted to online. So every Tuesday I see my, my students on Zoom. Um, and one of them is actually trying to get a story. 
sort of the ultimate goal for the semester is to get published in, the, in, a, in a major newspaper. And one of my students has a really good story that, that she uh, pitched to the Times Union. Um, and, and hopefully this week she'll get that published. That would be a, re- a real remarkable achievement for her. So this morning I was actually working on helping her edit her that story. Um, and I also, it's funny because um, I'm also teaching online uh, for middle schoolers because basically like I got time, I need some extra income. I no longer work for Yahoo. I'm, I'm looking, I'm actively working for work. So I'm also teaching online like middle school journalism uh, to, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth, uh, sixth, uh, just all, all across the country. And it's really fun. I mean, I really enjoy it because they miss sports so much. I mean, I'm sure your kids do too. That It's not just us. You know, we're trying to figure out what to talk about and what to write about in the real world. But talking to these kids every day, they're sad. I mean, like, they don't have their heroes are not on the TV anymore. And so it's exciting to talk to them just about sports um, and maybe teach them a little bit, too, uh, about how journalism works. But, you know, maybe one of them gets inspired by something I teach online, and then, and they think about, you know, maybe I want to go into this and be the, the next Brent Murnero. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Adelson with us uh, here on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. By the way, Eric's hack game, very strong. Very, very strong. strong. Very strong. Okay. Very okay. strong. Okay. Uh, and uh, always very strong. I like that. Uh, but, you know, you bring up a ver- something very interesting, man. Uh, you know, the number one question for the last month has been, what are you guys going to talk about? What are you guys going to talk about? It actually started ticking me off that people kept asking because it almost implies like, oh, what are you guys going to do? You're just going to be stealing money, you know, essentially. And I I, I couldn't I, – I think it's like the furthest thing from the truth. At least I think part of our job uh, for the first time doing this in 20 years is to document – the actual pause of the sports world. And there's all different ways to do it. Uh, we just went out and told a different story this morning. We've been doing it with our Action Sports Shacks team. And the reason I bring that up, Eric, is like for you teaching this class, this sports journalism class, I am so interested to see what parts of this pandemic, what part of this historic time in our sports world and in our world in general get brought into a class setting and that we learn from or use it as an example. Like, it, I don't know if you can feel that now, but I think six months, a year, three years down the road, I think you'll refer back to this time to see some of the great work people did or maybe even how the sports journalism world changed a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point, Brent. I mean, sports never really ends because what I always try to teach my students is there's no such thing as a story about sports. There's only a story about people who play sports, right, or people who are involved with sports. And all these people, every single one of us has a story. We are going through a change right now as a society but also as individuals. And so if you're an athlete or you're a coach or you're in any way tangentially or if you are a sports radio host, you are challenged in this time in a way that you haven't been before. And so I'd like to say journalism is the study of change. This is rapid, almost instant change. And so it, nothing's really gone dark except for the actual games. And I know it's like, well, that's everything. It's not everything because you have, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I was doing a story, a freelance story for Athlon Sports. And I was reporting it, and I was talking to the Iowa football strength and conditioning coach. And he's telling me he makes 45 phone calls a day talking to his students, student-athletes across the country. How do you stay in shape? Some of them can't go to the local rec. Some of them can't go down the street. Uh, some of them are, are having trouble being motivated. Some of them have other issues going on in their life. How do you keep a routine for student-athletes who are 
relying on a routine every day of their lives. I mean, that's a sports story that is going to last long after these athletes come back because as soon as the athletes, as soon as the dads come back, as soon as uh, UNF students come back, there's going to be like, okay, what'd you do? What'd you do during the time that you were off? And that's where we can report this story right now. Today, we can gather reporting and information and facts and quotes for very powerful stories when we come back. And the other thing I tell them is that feel free to cover these frontline workers, these first responders as athletes. Those are our athletes right now. Those are our heroes. Uh, and so I, I said this course class, but if you want to write about a hospital worker or somebody in public working double shifts to take care of their family, I give you support to that. I want to read that story. Those are now our heroes in the in the workplace and in the hospitals, and they are doing the uh, uh, they're they're doing heroic feats every day. Uh, I know we want to write about sports, we want to follow sports, but I tell them if you want to write a compelling story for this class about a nurse or a doctor or an epidemiologist or somebody at the University of Florida who's researching this. I will grade that the same way as I was grade some writing about Dan Mullen or Kyle Trask. Eric, sitting here and talking to you, man, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, back in 2006 when I started my journey at Murray State University, and I was a journalism mass communications major. And, and I remember in some of those classes, you know, like social media, it wasn't a big thing yet. Um, there was more of a print, I guess, emphasis, you know, like writing newspapers, things like that. Obviously, there was a TV and the broadcasting part as well. But my question to you is, what is the landscape now of, you know, teaching this thing? What does it appear like? Is it more, you know, you, you teach the social media part? Do you still teach print media or, you know, print with newspapers as well? Or is it more just broadcasting and, and that stuff? So that's just an awesome, that's just a good question. And that's something I think about every day um, because I am developing an online version of this class. And one of the lessons for this, one of the actual classes that I have for, for this course is about Twitter. How to use Twitter um, as a reporting tool. Uh, how to be careful on Twitter, not to, you can, to, to say something that's valuable that adds to the discourse but doesn't get you in trouble, uh, that's not controversial. And also to sort of monitor, and this is something actually over the weekend I was developing this particular course, um, is how do you read popular opinion uh, or conventional wisdom on Twitter. If everybody is saying one thing on Twitter, that might be a sign that you need to look at something else, that you need to that everyone's on one side of the boat. And so you can use Twitter as a way to read the sports discussion in one place and then maybe report in a unique and different way. So Twitter is really important. Podcasts are very important. I, one of the assignments I have is for, for the students to do a podcast. Nice. Um, because I feel like you need to be able to tell a story in different ways of thinking. Um, I thought about assigning students to do a TikTok. I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm actually going to do that. Um, <laughs> now you're talking their language. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm on the fence. I, it's, tomorrow's my second to last uh, online talk with them, and I might I might do a TikTok rant because I have strong feelings about TikTok. Um, but. I guess to answer your question, it's really good. a really good question. When I was in journalism school, I was a, quote, new media major, and one of the classes was learning how to open up a browser. I kid you not. I know I'm older than you guys, but that's how new media – that was what new media was back then. One of the lessons we had was how to open up a browser because back then we kind of knew that the future was going to be on the Internet, 
but we didn't know how. And so we had to figure out how to use the Internet. And those who figured out how to use the Internet uh, succeeded, and, and a lot of a lot of people who didn't figure it out failed. And so I don't want to just say, oh, I'm not interested in Facebook or Twitter. I want to write a good long-form magazine story. I mean, that's what I love to do is write a long-form magazine story. But in today's day and age, you have to be ahead of it, right? Because I'm teaching students that are 21, 22 years old in 10 years. Media is going to be totally different. There's going to be things we use that we haven't even invented yet. So I want to give them lessons that they can use no matter what the medium is. Eric, I mean, the way things are going now, right, like especially in this business, you either adapt or you die. I mean, are we getting to the point now where I should probably get a TikTok account here with Brent and we, we should, like, do dances while we, you know, share our sports <laughs> opinions? I mean, is that where we're going to go now, or is there still some room to kind of be yourself, to be genuine, you know, to kind of do it the quote-unquote old-school way and just sharing an article online or sharing an article in the newspaper? Like, will there always be a need for that? Or if you're an up-and-coming journalist, do you have to kind of get with the program or get left behind? So that's, that's, a, that's a good question, and I actually have an answer that I – this is my answer. I don't know if it's, it's the correct answer because, you know, I'm kind of a fossil in this industry myself. <laughs> but I really feel like storytelling will never die. There will always be an interest in a great story. And even if you go on TikTok and you watch a TikTok video – it's a mini story. I mean, there is some attempt at drama in that in that few seconds. Uh, when we had Vine, we were trying to tell a story even in a few seconds. And if you go all the way back to, you know, the 1700s, the 1800s, before we had television, before, you know, in the early genre newspapers, there's still the same power of a story. And so the most important thing I want my students to get out of a class is, are you a better storyteller? at the end of the semester than you were at the beginning. And whether that's telling a story on Twitter and it's 260 characters or whatever, or tell it, or reading, writing a book, you still need drama. You still need character development. You still need um, to, to reach the reader or the audience, and you need to grab them, and you need to keep them. Um, I mean, you guys, when this segment's over, you need to get somebody to come back after the, after the break. And if you're writing a story about the Jags game, or I need, I need to get somebody to go to the next paragraph. I, the, the, every paragraph needs to tease the next paragraph, and every segment on your show needs to tease the next segment. So there's value in storytelling, and I truly believe that that will always be there. And great storytellers will always be with us, no matter what kind of medium we're using. Yeah, I love that too, man. That's yeah. kind of what I feel about this whole time frame. If you look back twenty down the road, twenty years, and people are looking back on two thousand and twenty in the spring, in the in the time when sports stopped, what kind of stories are we telling about it? I think it will be um, a, a key way to document at least local sports, and even on a national level, the ESPNs and and everybody else of the world doing the same thing. By the way, about TikTok, if you have a teenage daughter, you don't like the storytelling that's going. Going on most likely probably not <laughs> well and i just want to let you know ben thanks because i mean this this has been eye-opening for me i'm learning a lot right here i'm not getting instagram now okay because you know why i can't tell a story on instagram so i'm not gonna get the account so coos uh brent not getting instagram deal with the guys how about tiktok you're gonna get that Next question. You can dance. Next question. I can dance. I can dance. Eric Adelson with us. And before we let him go and before we get to my other 16 holes from that round five years ago at Augusta National, uh, I've got two things for you. You mentioned to me earlier today that you had spoken recently with uh, Doug Marone uh, for a story. Uh, What was that conversation like? Yeah, so um, for me, Doug Marone, even before he got to to the Bills, 
he's uh, an offensive line expert. So if I'm writing a story on the evolution of the offensive line of football, which is what this story was partially about, I wanted to reach out to Doug Marone. Um, and I, I love listening to him talk about offensive line play. Um, and he was, you know, r- really, it was a phone conversation. Obviously, that's the world we live in now. But he was really illuminating uh, on that topic. And he said something that I thought was really interesting, which is I asked him, is it harder now in this day and age to teach or coach young people to get the most complex offenses? Um, because we're in a shorter attention span. I mean, it's really what we were just talking about, short attention spans. Um, younger people are, are distracted all the time. There's so many things going on in their lives. And he said, actually, no, it's in some cases the opposite, that younger players are in some cases quicker to pick up things than they were before. And he told me a story about at Syracuse where huddling up actually caused some miscommunication rather than just going no huddle uh, because the, the players were just used to picking up maybe one sign, one signal, one word, and then running. And then when they huddled up, that's when they got a chance to sort of get distracted and have other things come into their mind. So he actually told me something counterintuitive, which is that this new generation of football players is some is sometimes quicker and sharper, even though the quote less attention span, they actually have a sharper attention when it comes to these plays. So, I, I, it didn't really fit with the, the thrust of my story that I'm writing, but I just thought it was super interesting and, and, and a new look at, at, at football, which I didn't really think of. Yeah, and you'd think a lot of the easy answer, the old school answer is like, oh, yeah, these kids, I can't retain anything. You know, they can't, yeah. they can't <laughs> get off my lawn, guy. Uh, interesting take uh, by Doug Marone. Uh, one last football question, then uh, to something cool that you've been doing for a long time that I, I want to highlight. Uh, should the draft go on? Uh, do you mind it going on in these times, and uh, are you looking forward to it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the draft, even aside of this, is really one of my favorite parts of the sports calendar. I, I hate the combine, but I love the draft um, because it's hopeful, right? I mean, it's the future. It's dreams coming through and dreams starting uh, in one night or one or two or three nights. And I, I think we kind of need that right now. I, I, it's, it's, it's safe um, and it's something that can work. And it'll be entertaining, and it'll be a, a way to gather. I mean, that's really what I think me personally I miss the most is the gathering, whether I'm going as a fan or going as a journalist, um, to have a shared experience. And this is something that will be a shared experience uh, for the football community, but also a lot of other people too. So I love the hope of the draft. I love that, that all the effort that's gone into these lives and these careers, not only for the players but their parents, their families, and coaches – comes to fruition right in front of our eyes. Um, and also, in a way, I mean, I hope it's back to normal next year, obviously, but I kind of like that it's sort of remote, that there's not going to be a green room and people waiting in the green room. There's going to be, we're going to get a glimpse into people's uh, living rooms and porches, and, and I think it'll feel a little bit more personal and special in, in, in a maybe a new way. So I don't know, I'm the optimist in me. But I think it should go on, and I, I honestly can't wait for it. Yeah, in a weird way, sometimes Zoom and Skype and all those things make everything feel so distant, but it also can make it feel so intimate. The NFL draft might yeah. feel as intimate as it's ever been. And just a, a small test study, my wife said to me over the weekend, she said, I can't imagine how many people are going to be watching that. She said, I usually watch like the first round. I don't really care about the Friday and Saturday and whatever. I'll just read the headlines. She's like, 
But there's nothing else to watch. I'm going to be watching it. Like, I almost can't wait for, like, the fifth round of the NFL draft. I mean, that's what Steph was saying. So you can only imagine uh, so many people are probably thinking along the same lines. And I've had mixed thoughts on that because I kind of think the NFL is so saturated. They already have big ratings everywhere. But I get the point. I think a lot of people will be tuned in to see something live, something new, something fresh when it comes to sports. All right. I've been looking for a while to, to get Eric on. And shame on me. I haven't. But. One of the reasons he does a lot of cool things, you just heard about it, from journalism, covers uh, all different sports, had uh, for Yahoo and, and does it on a freelance basis. Now, a really smart guy, also a, a fellow member of Augusta National with me five years ago today. But he, I've seen so many people do charity work for a lot of different things. And I've got to be honest with you, Eric, you're the first person I've ever seen do charity work for this and I've been following along for years as you as you note it and share it and and try to help it. But tell us about the diaper network <laughs> and how much of a need there is for diapers in communities and what you guys have been able to accomplish. Well, Seth, thanks for asking about this. And I'm really glad that I can talk to the Jacksonville community because the Jacksonville community, the Duval community, is really central to what we're trying to do in Florida. One in three American families struggle to provide diapers for their kids. Um, and that's before this happened. It's before all the unemployment, before the health crisis that we're in. Uh, and so now the need for diapers, I mean, you think about where am I going to get my next roll of toilet paper? That's the, that's the feeling that a lot of parents in this country feel about diapers all the time. And so one of my passions in life is to end diaper need, to, to raise awareness um, and to bring in diapers and funds for families that are struggling to get by, struggling to get the diapers, because if you have to choose between Feeding your family and providing diapers to your babies, I mean, that's a place that nobody should be in. Um, and so we, we have the National Diaper Network is, is a group of diaper banks all over the country. Um, and these are almost all like a mom who starts it in their basement or a mom that starts it in her garage. Um, these are in major companies or corporations, like you think of with a blood bank uh, or even a food pantry. These are individual people in the community who are trying to be everyday heroes while they're raising their own family. Uh, Feeding Northeast Florida is a brand-new member of our network in Jacksonville. Um, so look it up if you have a chance, if you feel like giving. If you if your young one is just coming out of diapers and you have extras, please reach out to me or please reach out, reach out to Feeding Northeast Florida um, because they need them. It's a dire need in this environment, and for a lot of people, it's a dire need all the time. And a little donation, I'd like to say every diaper makes a difference. If you have just a few bucks to give, um, it really helps a family in need. That's awesome. That's uh, well said. And, again, uh, up until you kind of promoted this and talked about this, I hadn't really heard much about it, but it makes total sense. I mean, diapers are expensive, and in so many communities, just another essential item that is needed. And I, I did not know that part at all. We actually hear uh, between Action News Jacks on our TV side, CBS 47 and Fox 30, Cox Media Group with all the radio stations, including ESPN 690, in the last couple of weeks have launched a virtual food drive with Northeast, Feeding Northeast Florida. Uh, and you can get more information and help out on ESPN690.com. Do you know, and I might be putting you on the spot, but when we do something like that, does that mean some of the proceeds could go toward diapers? What's what's the diaper angle to feeding Northeast Florida? Because obviously we think about it as food. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And when when you and, – and thank you, by, by, by the way, for, for – because food is important, right? If somebody is, isn't paying for food, maybe they can pay for diapers. It works both ways. Um, but 
for these food banks, and I can check. Um, usually you have to say, I want this to go to diapers. Otherwise, it'll go to food. Okay. Um, so if it's something where you want to help with diapers, you can. Also, at the top of my Twitter feed, you can donate. We have a national GoFundMe for helping uh, all over Florida and all over the country if you want to donate that way. Um, so I would never t- – I mean, wherever your dollar to for- feeding Northeast Florida goes, it's a great thing. Um, but I do want to raise awareness of the diaper need because it's a little bit more of a stigma, right? I mean, I, I, nobody wants to say that they're, they're worried about food, but it's, I think, a little bit harder for moms and dads to say, I can't even put a diaper on my child or I have to reuse a diaper. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a little bit harder to talk about. And the other thing is that, in a, and this is specific to Florida as well, if there's a natural disaster like a hurricane, people think, okay, I want to give blood, I want to give food, I want to give water, I want to give clothes. People don't necessarily think about diapers. Um, and I've had conversations with people at FEMA, and they tell me, they're like, yeah, people just forget about the diapers. Uh, and so whether it's this coronavirus situation or, you know, heaven forbid, it's another, we have another hurricane in the area. Um, it's important to me that your audience and you guys just remember that diapers are going to be a need in a time of crisis. And if you just have that in your mind and maybe pass it along, awareness is such a big part of this. Because I think a lot of people just don't think that that's a need, but it really, really is. Well, you're doing great work, man. Follow Eric Adelson at Eric underscore Adelson on Twitter. You can also see at Diaper Network. But if you go to Eric's Twitter, he does have a link to a GoFundMe if you're willing and able uh, to help out uh, just uh, many of the folks that are in need. It's There's a lot of different things. There's food, shelter, there's diapers. And uh, thanks for bringing it to the forefront, man. Glad to have you on talking about it and, and hopefully spreading the word so we can get you some help up here in Jacksonville. I appreciate you. You guys do great work. And, uh, man, I can't wait for my next trip to Duval whenever it is. Absolutely, man. Be well. I hope your family's good. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brent. See you often. All right. Uh, that's Eric Adelson and uh, a lot of stuff there. Uh, he's been a lot covering the Jags a bunch, you know, uh, been to a lot of games. And we run into him at, at a lot of different events uh, ever since I got to know him five years ago today, actually, at Augusta National. Played that round with him. Uh, cool guy, fun guy, smart guy. And uh, I tell you what, those students at uh, the University of Florida have him as a professor. They're fortunate. He knows a lot of stuff. And uh, the folks at the Diaper Network fortunate, too, because he's doing a lot of good work for them. Hopefully we can uh, spread that message and go check it out. Eric underscore Adelson on Twitter. There's a GoFundMe right there. And you can also follow at Diaper Network. Uh, that will get you some needed information as well. And since we're reminding folks, let's remind you again about our virtual food drive, ESPN690.com. Uh, Eric just mentioned Feeding Northeast Florida. They do a lot of good work with a lot of different things, uh, and you can uh, contribute to that as well, ESPN690.com. More football talk right after this, plus our mock draft comes up a little bit later on on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, got a couple of minutes here, and then at the top of the hour, when we come back, we have mock draft. We did the Action Sports Jacks uh, TV side of things, and I want to share it with you, see what you think about our mock draft, and if you like it or not, but also it's the pitfalls, potentially, of the draft. It's hard, man. We thought we'd go rifle through that thing in, like, five minutes. Yeah. It took us, like, 35 minutes. To do, like, 12 picks. You just got to pull the trigger, Brent. Well, I know. Come we're on. doing research, this is, this man. We're taking this thing serious, ball. though. Okay. In 35 okay. minutes, people are like, you took it serious? Took it 35 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> if you think it's serious, take it hours. Do people yeah, have a lot of free time right. on their end. Yeah, true, true that. <laughs> Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Coos back on a Monday. Hope you're doing well. And um, once again, reminder, uh, virtual food drive feeding Northeast Florida. Go to ESPN690.com. Another thing we launched today. 
is uh, if you have somebody that maybe has a birthday or a truck driver, you know, someone on the front lines with healthcare workers, restaurants, you know, a bartender, a hostess, a waitress, an owner that you like, local restaurants, anybody really uh, that you need to lift up and, and uh, give a shout out. We're doing that, Star Star 690. You can leave a message, Star Star 690. Give them a shout-out, and hopefully uh, we can help make their day. A lot of people celebrating birthdays in kind of uh, different ways or yeah. not celebrating as much. Kids turn 15 on Wednesday. And as I – Yeah, I think the big plan, probably not, right? What, what, what nah, can you do? I mean, the thing a lot of what people do? are doing uh, is uh, – which is cool is kind of the parade out in the in the yeah, uh, through the cult, through the neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, the problem is we just don't have any friends. Yeah, because you don't talk to anybody, right? <laughs> so so I mean, unless you hire strangers on Craigslist, which you don't really want to do. It's going to be a long um, parade. Short yeah. parade. Either that or I Better figured, get on that Zoom and start texting some family members. I figured I'd just put something out in the neighborhood and be like, hey, join the parade. I'll give you a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> There we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking essentials. Hey, let's get Steven on real quick before we hit the top of the hour. And uh, thanks for listening, man. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. What you got? All right. I got a question for Austin Lane. Big wrestling question. Need your input. Are you sure you don't want me to answer this? I think we're all good, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> hit me with all it, right. man. Let's go. What do you got? Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite. Hager versus Mox. Yeah. No holes barred. Who do you see winning? And you think it favors Mox because the hell him and Kenny Omega went through. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think this is definitely Mox's, uh, you know, battle to win here. Um, you're not going to take the belt off him quite yet, especially, you know, during these times with no crowd and everything like that. So I do think Mox retains. Um, can we see like some kind of interesting thing happen, shape out, possibly? Um, expect to, because keep in mind, uh, if I'm not mistaken... The tag team from WWE. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name now. Oh, wait, uh, let me help you out. Yeah, hang on, hang on. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm one second. On one second. I'll find it in a second here. <laughs> Are we doing wrestling predictions here now? Yeah, pretty much, man. <laughs> what is this? I, I, I can't think of their name right now, but... um. Yeah, but, uh, oh, I'm sorry. You're talking, you're, you're talking about Scott Dawson. Yes, and yes, partner. thank you very much. Thank it's called you the Revival. The thank you very much, man. It's called, they're called the Revival, yeah. Um, do you kind of premiere the Revival during that episode? Possibly, because keep in mind, they've got to let go of their contracts and they can perform any time. So keep an eye out for them. But I think Mox retains, obviously, and is still your AEW champion. Well, speaking of not real, my mock draft coming up next oh, on ESPN wow. 690. Hey, Ronda Rousey, take it easy. I want to see the Pittsburgh Steelers find a way to get back into the middle of the first round if Jordan Love falls. I want to see the Steelers make that happen. So the Dolphins, who have multiple first-round picks, and the Las Vegas Raiders, who have multiple first-round picks, and the New England Patriots, who somehow can do things that we can't explain. I want all three of those teams to call the Houston Texans and see if they can pry Deshaun Watson away from them. Bill O'Brien's doing some very interesting things as the general manager of the Houston Texans. And I know it sounds crazy, but maybe one of those teams can offer a number of picks either this year or next year and get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. Hey, Olaski, it sounds crazy. You know why? Because it is crazy. You think the Houston Texans, after all this, after letting go of Hopkins, are now just going to go ahead and say, you know what? We're, we're in it for the long haul. We're going to suck for the next decade and a half. Let's go ahead and trade Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, no. 
I mean, I, well, I don't know. Is Kansas City interested in trading Patrick Mahomes? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, I, I think now maybe Deshaun Watson would like that based on what they've done. But the title of that was three things that may happen before the draft. I'll tell you right now, if Deshaun Watson gets traded away, I, I will send Arlovsky an edible arrangement. Every week. We've got a lot of Every edible week. arrangements going We need to Hopefully get a sponsor, sponsor show. I know. I know. But I will send him an edible <laughs> arrangement every week until he gets so much vitamin C, it's making his head spin. It's, uh, yeah, the Deshaun Watson stuff, I think, is just, I don't even hear it because it's, like, so well, out of left field. Like, I get it. it it's that time, you know, can you do yeah. predict, you, Sometimes you're asked, can you do something that would be crazy? That's understandable, but... I just, Deshaun Watson, nobody's moving Deshaun Watson at this stage of things. But I mean, now, Bill O'Brien might yeah. be a little nutty, but... Well, now, let's be honest. I mean, if you want to come from the Yannick Ngakwe speaking to existence school, well, then maybe Deshaun Watson does get traded. And then maybe I can go on Houston Texans Twitter and just bask in it for the next year and a half of just the fans and the outrage, because that is one of my favorite pastimes during the quarantine, is reading the Houston Texans Twitter. <laughs> It's, it's, it's going to be one of the most memorable It's the parts. gift that keeps on giving, man. I'm telling you. You have to get on that, man. There's so much good stuff on there. Uh, all right. I love so it. Here's the deal. Mock drafts all over the place, right? There's these cool websites now. You can basically go do your own, mm-hmm. and they make it pretty easy. Uh, you were doing one earlier. I'm, do, I'm, I'm still doing one. still doing one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was you know, doing interviews. Talk, I was answering wrestling questions I wasn't yeah, ready true. for. It's yeah. a lot on your plate. I get it. Uh, you know, what's interesting is... It's not easy. You know, you do one of these mock drafts and you wrestle. You know, everybody, listen, everybody plays fantasy football. So Correct. you're always wrestling with it. Mm-hmm. But I guess what, can you imagine being these guys with their jobs on the line, not getting emotional, not just taking a chance? And see, none of us can because none of our jobs rely on that. Our jobs rely on criticizing all the moves that go wrong or praising the ones that go right. But to be steady in that, and, you know, it's one of the questions we're going to ask some of the Jags folks as we get closer to draft time. We'll probably have some uh, a chance to catch up with them. And I really am curious about the emotion of the draft room this year based on others. I think draft rooms get emotional. I think there are times when the table gets slammed, you know. I remember the old story of uh, uh, Ted Monachino when Derek Harvey got picked. He was a defensive line coach. Ted Monachino chose a uh, – Told, told the story that when he heard they were moving up to get Derek Harvey, he jumped up in the air and he put his hands through the ceiling tiles in the in the office because he was so excited. Oh, defensive line coaches, man! I tell you what, they're a different breed. Yeah, yeah. But, so I, you know, there's emotion, but who yeah. can remain steady? And will some of the emotion be taken out of the room because we're not seeing your face or the eye contact? Shad Khan, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, maybe this scout over here that like this. You know, whoever's in that room usually, in that war room, you're not seeing that eye contact that might make you think twice. Instead, you're over the phone, and, and maybe that will ease some of the emotions. Or maybe it amps it up a bit because you can t- send. You know, it's like email. It's like text, right? It's we interpret people's text to kind of read the way we think they're saying it, yeah, even yeah. though we might be dead wrong. Oh, well, that happens doubt, on the man. phone, too. Yeah. So it's just going to be fascinating how many teams maybe stick to their original plan more than the past I'm, or not. I'm just imagining, like, coaches and personnel going back and forth, like, texting, like, 
emojis and stuff. Like, <laughs> I'm going to take him and, oh, no, middle finger. X emoji. <laughs> X emoji. Like, oh, man. Well, give, me so that draft room. Emoji. Yeah. give me that draft room. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. It's not really talked about that much is how much emotion is going to be in this draft and how much does it come down to a logic standpoint? How much does it come down to the kind of like what we're doing? We're just, we see names on the screen. We make the best possible pick, and then we go on from there. And I think – Taking away that human element, taking away, you know, you don't have 10 guys in the same room, a la like some bad MTV sitcom, now everybody's online, I think it does take away the the human and the, and the emotional part of it, and that can either do one of two things. One, it can kind of make it more logical where it's like, all right, well, this makes sense, let's do this, and maybe it prevents you from taking the risks. Maybe it prevents you from taking the gambles, and we've seen every single year, Brent, when you take a gamble a little bit, and sometimes it doesn't pay off and sometimes it does. But if you want to make the difference, if you want to get people talking, and if you want to turn your team around, you got to take some of those gambles. You got to. You got to take risks. It's the story as old as time. The whole thing's so, risky, but you got to well, take risks. Exactly. So it makes you wonder just how many risks we're going to see, especially from the Jacksonville Jaguars now, seeing how there isn't that human element with people in the room. It's funny, you know. I think about this because I said it on TV last night. I got a feeling, especially coming off this uh, this little mock draft thing we did, that – I feel like defensively, the Jags would rather be more fundamental than flashy. And, and why I say that is because Doug Marone has been adamant. When he met with us a couple of weeks ago, the moves that they made in free agency, they've been adamant that they want to fix the run. They want to be able to say, hey, we're going to stop you on first and second down. See if you can beat us on third down and eight, third down and ten, third down and seven, whatever it might be. And I get it. But that also speaks to me like, hey, We'll, we'd love to have playmakers, don't get me wrong, but we're going to try to be fundamentally sound and stop making so many mental mistakes, so many film room kind of mistakes, mm-hmm. being on different landmarks. There's been way too much of that, whether that was kind of self-made, like a Jalen Ramsey kind of going off on his own sometimes, or whether that was lack of experience, whatever it might be. But I think the Jags were going, are going more fundamental than flashy. Well, here's the deal on offense. They've been more fundamental in terms of run the football, let's just try to be a tough team, even when they've been good, right? Yeah. And, well, I kind of feel like they need to be a little more flashy. They've got Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. Like, don't hide that. Embrace that. So to be more flashy, you might need to go more weapons. You might need to go that third down back. You might need to go another big bona fide wide receiver. Yeah. So it's interesting how I look at it. I don't know if I'm right, but it'll be interesting to see the makeup of this football team. If you come out of it and be like, wow, they took a chance on a, a wide out early. Why? Because they can be a little more flashy. Flashy doesn't always mean bad. Mm. Flashy can mean fun. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see. Now, could they say if they pick an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman the first two picks, I'm going to probably come out of here and say, well, they. I guess they're just trying to be more fundamental. This isn't flash. This is about just good, solid football. Yeah. And, and that's not wrong. I will just say what I've said a lot about the Jags. I don't believe they're going wide receiver in the first couple of picks. It's just not their M.O. It hasn't been. But it would do something that they haven't done since well, I've been around, and that is be dynamic on the, in the passing game and try to be dynamic in the passing game. But keep in mind, though, Brent, this is, this is an interesting draft from a couple standpoints. It's an interesting draft because essentially you're trying to help Gardner Minshew to see if he is the guy or not. It's an interesting draft from the standpoint of you're trying to keep your job. My question to you is, and listen, at the end of the day, all that matters is wins and losses, right? It's how you perform on the field. But do you think that if you have a flashy draft, 
compared to more of just a reserved offensive lineman here, defensive lineman here, just the meat and potatoes. Does that hurt you in how Shad Khan perceives how you're doing your job, right? So my, my standpoint is, if, if you're Dave Caldwell and you're trying to keep your job, does it help your stock at all going into the season if you have some of these flashy picks, right? If you take a wide receiver here, everyone's talking about him. If you take a third down back here, everyone's talking about it. And does it hurt you if you go with the more meat and potatoes where you take an offensive line first round? Um, you know, you take a defensive line with the 20th pick or whatever it is. Like, does that hurt you in how Shad Khan sees you? Yeah, I, I don't know if it does or not, but I will say if I'm the owner of this football team, entertainment has been lacking. Mm. Now, what are you going to tell me? Well, entertainment is winning. I get it. But it still would be if you're going to lose games, which has been a very hard thing to do is win games. If you're going to lose games, you know that Carolina game from last year? Yeah. That was an entertaining game. Mm-hmm. Like, you were like, hey, you know what? The Jags aren't bad. Like, okay, they lost the game. That's an NFL game where you lose it late. Uh, the team got going on. Now, listen, you gave up 200 yards rushing, but you almost even overcame that because you had some fun. You could throw it around the yard. You could score. Makes you look pretty good. Like, you left that game feeling way different than any game you had left in in recent memory of a loss for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this team has lost too many times 26 to 3 or 13 to 10 or whatever. So again, I'm not dismissing winning. I'm saying it's okay to lose, but I do think if I'm the owner of the football team and you're going to give me some entertainment value with my football team for really only like the second time since I've owned the football team, mm-hmm. I'm not going to turn away from that. And I think again, you're embracing the guy that fe- that kind of exudes entertainment who is that Gardner Minshew so wrap your arms around it baby and ride with it and see where it takes you uh would be my play we'll get to the phones in just a moment I want to get to the first part of our draft okay Mm -hmm. so here's what happens in these mock drafts it's wild and and listen I think so many people have a coup to go into the Lions but it's not a slam dunk he goes to the Lions they could use a lot of help in a lot of different places they could trade out of that pick a lot of things could be in play well Akuda was still on the board when we picked. We go into really? the draft and we're pick, we're thinking big men, right? Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, maybe an offensive lineman. Sure. Well, Akuda's still on the board at number nine in this draft. So again, all of a sudden, bam, it changes everything that you were thinking. Yeah. And you go with your best player available, maybe one of the best guys on the Jags board, some people would think, and you get Jeffrey Akuda. Well, that, well, good for you, man. That didn't happen for my draft. I just did. <laughs> I'm going to say this, you know. Can the Lions trade out of that spot? Absolutely. But keep in mind where the head coach of the Lions is coming from. He's coming from New England, mm-hmm. a defensive-minded guy. He understands just how important uh, you know, a, a legit corner is, a la Stephen Gilmore, right? So I have a hard time say, you know, seeing the Lions not taking Akuda. You never know, man. It's a draft. Anything can happen. But I think Akuda's going to go to Detroit. Yeah, I probably yeah. – but, but, but you never know. But you know what? They also have a $50 million quarterback. Sure. That they could either put stuff around, maybe it's a tackle, maybe it's whatever. Again, yeah, uh, maybe but, they could trade back but, to 12 I mean, and say we can get good players. But you never know. And the fact you got Okuda, I love well, that. Well, this is where it gets really weird, right? Because Judy's still on the board at 20. And so what? we have to take Judy. <laughs> what is – that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, here's the thing. You know, and I understand what you're saying. You're like, oh, my gosh, what did you just take any player that you wanted? Yeah. No, I mean, this is the way the mock draft shook out. Right? Sure. But I, I think, like it. I think, well, of course, you like it from a, wow, Akuda and Judy, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you didn't get any big guys at all in the first round. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm, I guess the, the lesson here is just because every mock draft you look at has Akuda at three, Derek Brown at seven, so-and-so at 12, all three receivers off the board before 20. 
Come on now, it doesn't always work like that. And if you're in Jacksonville, you should know that because Josh Allen, nobody figured except for me, I picked him, uh, to be there at number seven last year when the Jags picked. Seriously, nobody thought it would happen. But the Raiders go off the radar and they pick it. Well, here's what could happen off the radar this year. You could get a run on quarterbacks. You get four quarterbacks going in the top ten, and all top sudden, twelve. And you can see and Isaiah then, Simmons falling to you or Akuda. All these guys you. then start to fall down. It doesn't yeah. take much, mm-hmm. is my point. Sure. And so the uh, as as crazy as it sounds, this is just an illustration to me where it's a reminder. It's like, hey, those are mock drafts. There's still the improbable that can happen, and if it happens once or twice in the first top ten, fifteen picks, well, sure. These guys could be available. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got three or four offensive linemen people love. You have three receivers people love. You have four quarterbacks that people might love. You have two uh, defensive linemen that people love. You have two corners that people love. I mean, you start adding those numbers up, we're getting to pick 18, 19, 20. It only takes a slip or two here or there or somebody to reach, mm-hmm. and that happens every single year. Uh, this is where it gets interesting, man. I'll take you through the first three rounds. So Antoine Winfield, we're thinking, hey, we got to get a big body, got to get a big body, get a big body. But Come we on. picked Antoine Winfield at safety because he's like top 20 ranked on our board. Mm. Now, it was really on like CBS's board or whoever's board. Yeah. But my point is, if they pick, and you know who else was there? Delpit from LSU. So we had two safety options that were like top 20 value players yeah. in the second round. And this is where it's, again, I think the Jags could use free safety. I think they could use an upgrade there. Do they need it? Not necessarily, mm-hmm. but once you hit those second rounds, third rounds, put like that need doesn't always come into play, especially if you can get a big value pick. Jags got big value in the second round with Cam Robinson, according to most boards. They got big value with Jawan Taylor, according to just about every board. Yeah. They got big value, according to themselves, with DJ Chark. They thought he was a first round talent. Now, again, it's easy to say that once you draft a guy in the second round. That's my point. If uh, Winfield drops down and you really value him as a top 20, 25 pick and he's there, well, well, take a run at him. Well, let's be honest, though, Brent. With Cam Robinson, if Cam Robinson doesn't start this year, was he really that big of a value then? Uh, no, then he wouldn't. Then he would, yeah. He wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying at the time being, people no, say, hey, they got Cam Robinson with number 35 or whatever. Sure. That's a really good value. Sure. No, it is a value thing. And that brings up my, my point of do you take the big value or do you take the need, right? Because I sit here and I think, well, you got Jared Wilson at free safety. You got Ronnie Harrison at strong safety. If I was analyzing that defense right now, is safety a concern for me? It is a little bit, but it's not the biggest concern. Yeah. Obviously, there's corner and defensive tackle. But, I mean, I, I see where you're going with it, so what else you got? Well, so uh, we obviously got corner, though, because we got Akuda. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we took Akuda and wide receiver, yep. uh, and we're missing big guys. But then mm-hmm. we get, we're get we sitting there in the third round, we get Cole Komet, tight end. Yeah. We just add to our tight end room more so than we saw value in the defensive line and, and offensive line. That's the cat from uh, the Irish, right? Yes. In Notre Dame, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like him. Yeah, in the yeah. Third, 73rd overall pick. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we end up with. So, I, again, the point of this is to say, dang, man, we're all thinking, and myself included, you need some big fellas early. Mm-hmm. Give me the 300-pound guys. But when you're talking about value and where you can get guys, the corner comes off, the receiver. Safety made sense to us. Tight end. And bam, there you are. And you what you're left with, uh-oh, we didn't get any big guys. So what if the Jags don't get any big guys in the first couple of rounds that you're like hammered home as a starter potential? Yeah. See, I actually don't know if that's as painful as people think. The drop off between Derek Brown and Kinlaw 
is and then the rest seems to be pretty big. Yeah. There's three or four offensive linemen people like, then there's a drop off. I still believe the 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 theory down at Jags headquarters now whether you agree or not is is one thing is that they like their offensive line better than other people do. Do they have to take offensive linemen this year when they can give Cam Robinson a healthy world in 2020? No, they really don't have to. They have people there to play the position. The bottom line is, is it, a, is it a super upgrade to pick somebody else if it falls in your lap? Well, it didn't fall in their lap that way. So I'm not sure I would be that offended if the Jags in the first three rounds didn't take an offensive lineman. Defensive line's a little different because they got Gunter and they got Woods and they got Taven Bryan and Avery Jones and they obviously have Yannick and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make me feel like great. And the reason why it doesn't make me feel great, I think, is because for the last couple of years, it's been the strength of their defense. And so what you're comparing it against is Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, Jan, Dante, you know, now Josh Allen last year. You know, so it's kind of like, are we going to come out of this draft and say, you know what, the Jags ended up picking defensive linemen in like the fourth round just because of the way the draft fell. And now we're, we've got these huge holes there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they feel better. Again, you know they feel better about Taven Bryan than anybody on the outside world does. I'm not saying they think he's a stud, but they feel better about him than anybody in the outside world. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it, what happened to me in this mock draft, and we only took you through the first four picks there, because the other ones are get a little – I'll share them with you, but it's, it becomes a little bit more mundane. I think uh, the striking thing was, wow, we got good players. We think we got good players, but we kind of didn't get what we th- – Thought we were going to go fix yeah. right away. Mm-hmm. And I think the Jags could come out of this draft doing the same. There are five players in those positions, offensive line, defensive line, that seem like you fix it. Derek Brown, Kinlaw, the worst, the Thomases, uh, you know, uh, maybe add a six lineman in there. Um, if they don't get any of those six players, are people in Jacksonville going to feel like, hey, you failed? Possibly. But if you don't get those players, if you don't clog the holes, how is Dave going to be feeling? How is Doug going to be feeling knowing that, you know what? We didn't get the guys that we were supposed to get. We still have some holes. How many games are we going to win this season? Like, to me, that's that's the biggest question to me is if you go out, you know, if you think outside the box a little bit and you flip the script up, okay, that's great. But at the end of the day, when you can leave this draft, you have to ask yourself one question. Are we going to win games because of this draft? And if the answer is, I don't know, then to me, it's not a good draft. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting to see. I just don't know if you say it like that. Is Tristan worse winning me games this year? Is Derek Brown winning me games this year? Or is he part of building blocks that help me win for the next five years? I mean, and I feel uh, yeah. those positions are more that. Like, to be honest with you, I think if I got Judy and Akuda. Mm-hmm. Immediately, those guys might help me actually win games. They're playmakers. Like no, they might sure. score six and touchdowns and three picks. Listen, and, and AJ Brown did it last year. DK Metcalf helped out last year. I get that. But if you look at the Jaguars' problems last year, number one, stopping the run. Where if you can't stop the run, how many games are you gonna win? If you had another legit guy to replace Marcel Darius last year, do you think you would have had a better shot of possibly maybe beating the Panthers, of possibly beating the Houston Texans? 
Maybe. So to me, stopping the run's got to be the number one thing. It's not a sexy thing to talk about. I understand that. It's not getting a star wide receiver. But overall, in the overall fundamentals of football, if you cannot stop the run, and if that's your liability, you're not going to win too many ball games. Yeah, one other thing to think about here, too, I think. Take like a guy like Javon Kinlaw. He's a good, he could be a very, very good player. Could be the best D lineman in the draft. That's right? why I drafted number nine, by yeah. the way. I'm a mock draft. But oh, yeah. how much is he going to help you this year? Mm-hmm. He's raw. Right. No, th- listen, so how much yeah. is he going to help you this year? Just because you take a guy doesn't mean he's going to deliver right away. We know that with the tight end position. We've seen it with other positions. Doesn't make it a bad pick either necessarily, a la DJ Chark yeah. and hopefully a Josh Oliver type. Yeah. But it doesn't mean he's going to win right away. So I think what's going to be important to remind people, if I'm thinking uh, here in Jacksonville, is remember now. They have 12 picks. They should get a lot better coming off this. If I'm ShotCon, I'm saying you remember that. If I'm Tony Khan, remember that. We should get a lot better. We should get a lot of good football players coming out of this draft. But my thinking still has to be, where are we going to be in 2021 as well? We have nine draft picks in 21 as well, and we might have some 60, 70, 80 million dollars in cap space to go fill some voids we might not be able to get in. Now, does that do anything for Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But does it do good for my franchise in the long term? I'm looking at this more over two years. You know, I've got to be. Now, listen, I want everything to fall into place this year, too. I want Mitchell to be the guy. I want him to lead. I want to be Cinderella this year. I get it. But you're also looking at the next couple of years. And so that's why I don't think people can panic in Jacksonville if they don't come out of there with an offensive lineman. If they don't come out of there in the first couple of rounds with a defensive lineman, but they like the picks they got. If those kind of players fall, you got to look at it more in a two-year window, I think, uh, based on what the Jaguars have done this offseason. See, uh, I completely disagree, though, because if I'm a J, and listen, I get what you're saying for, you know, plan for the future. Absolutely. Like, I mean, if you get a wide receiver, fantastic. If you get a safety, fantastic. Those are great building blocks. You can go down two, three years down the line and maybe be successful. But at the same time, I'm nervous, though, because if I'm Dave Caldwell, then, like, th- there is no tomorrow, okay? It's it's this draft, and hopefully it works out. If I'm Doug Marone, there is no tomorrow. Hopefully this draft works out, or I'm gone as well. So I'm doing everything in my power to try to address the needs of last year. I get, you know, adding some intriguing picks here, intriguing picks there, and that's what the draft is all about. I understand that. But you still have to address a situation where your run defense was horrible last year, one of the worst in the NFL. You lose, essentially, probably your best run defender on the defensive line in Clarence Campbell. To me, you have to replace that. You absolutely, that has to be addressed because if it's not Brent and you go into this season without a, a Clarence Campbell type, without a legit three technique, and you believe in Taven Bryan and you put all your chips in Taven Bryan, How's it going to work out for you? And all I'm going to say is good luck with that. Yeah, and, and that's fine. It, uh, it's on the thought bubble over there. But, uh, <laughs> again, I just think there's two ways to look at it. There I is. don't mind that way of thinking about it. But I'm also from Shotgun, Tony Khan. I gave you guys another chance here. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm worried about my franchise. I'm not worried about two guys that are getting another chance to get it right. Well, keep in mind, much, though, Brent, Dave Call was the GM, though. All right. Under his title, it's a general manager. He's the guy that's probably going to be, you know, saying we're going to go with this guy. Yes, Shad Khan has the ultimate override, and Shad Khan can do whatever he wants. Make no mistakes about it. But I'm just saying, from Dave Caldwell's perspective, the guy that's supposed to be in charge of drafting everybody, you got to keep in mind of where you went wrong last year, what the holes were, and trying to fill those holes. Yeah, and but I think again, Dave Caldwell has to balance, get yeah. fix it quick, and fix everything that plugged up last year. But these are better moves for the long term. Because, again, I can plug that next year uh, so-and-so is coming available in free agency. And I'm going to have $80 million to spend. I'm going to go get them. 
or next year I got two first round picks and the offensive line draft next year is really good. I don't know that. I'm just saying, you know, so the, there's, I look at this as more of a two year thing. What do they do with the 21 draft picks? What do they do? Not 2021. I mean, 21 overall draft picks. And what do they do with this amount of money that they now have freed up? Heading into next free agency uh, as well. And a lot of that depends on how guys perform. Cam Robinson, Taven Bryan, Gardner Minshew. Uh, there's a lot to dissect. One more thought on this, uh, and then we'll get to the lines. Uh, I asked yesterday for our, our TV show, Action Sports Shacks Primetime, on CBS 47 and Fox 30, which we're still doing, by the way, half-hour shows on Saturday and Sunday nights. Uh, which position do you favor the Jaguars taking with the ninth overall pick in the draft? We got these results. It was pretty close to defensive line, 36%. Mm-hmm. Offensive line, 28%. Wide receiver, 23%. And corner was 13%. So pretty spread out, over 700 votes, too. So it was a pretty decent sample size of uh, Jags fans or, or people that voted to say, what do they believe in? All right, let's get to the Lions. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Haven't heard from this guy in a while. South Beach, Gary, the two with Dolphins. What's up? Gentlemen, how are you? Austin, I heard you say the Bills were the favorite the other day. What about my Dolphins with what they've done in free agency <laughs> as the favorite? He's got a good memory. He's, he's got a great memory. Uh, <laughs> I'm still going Bills, South Beach. Gary, sorry to burst your bubble. Are you taking Tua? You know what? I heard from, you know, that man Mel Kniepa Jr. said they're leaning toward Justin Herbert, so don't be surprised, guys. Will you be disappointed if they take Herbert? Who, oh, who no, do you I want? love Herbert. I okay. love Herbert. Okay. Do you want to see me get Tua, though, or, or Justin Moore, though? I love Tua, but I'm very afraid about the injury situation. And is, is he going to make it to a second contract, Austin, because of the uh, the hip? Is it going to degenerate to the point where, at 27 years old, he's out of the league? Hey, listen, quarterback situation is you got to be careful about that second contract. I love what Bill Polian said years ago when Miles Jack was coming out, though. You don't care about that second contract as much anymore. You got to win, and there's windows to win. And so, get, but quarterback is a little different. When you draft the franchise quarterback top five, you're saying this guy's my he's my guy, hopefully for a decade. I'll tell you this: Tua is going to make a lot of decision makers look really good by passing on him, or really bad. Mm-hmm. By taking him, potentially, or passing on him. Because he, to me, is the ultimate. I think he could be a sensational player. I think he's a cool kid. I think there's a lot to like. There, there, you could wrap up a lot of people. And I'm not even – the Trent Dilfer stuff seemed to me a little carried away, the Dan Marino arm and everything. But he does feel like like a Russell Wilson from a leadership standpoint. You know, he's got the mobility when he needs to. He does have a good arm. He's accurate. I mean, you could combine a bunch of different recent quarterbacks and put them into a – Yeah. But injury history is injury history. Sure. And that was a serious injury. Absolutely. And you add it all up, and man – Checking the box on that front is a very difficult check box. Who, who, who check. knows? Who knows? Maybe he goes to Houston when they trade Deshaun Watson away, <laughs> according to Dan Orlovsky. You never know. Hey, when you we come know. back, uh, we go ten questions, including one of them is around the house. How handy are you? And what is the most difficult thing you've ever had to put together at the house? My life after I got cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was, was going to say. Marriage does not count. Oh. <laughs> Marriage cannot be an answer here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kuz. Nice shirt, man. Essential personnel shirt today. I'm not letting it get to my head or anything. You are prideful, man. You are wearing that you can't chest hide out. It, man. You can't hide that Did pride. Did you order that? Or are they giving them out here at Cox Media I was Media given Group? this. <laughs> I want one, man. <laughs>
Absolutely. Hey, when we come back, we go to questions. Too. A lot of football related, but I want to know what's the hardest thing you ever put together at the house next on ESPN 690. Contagious virus, you don't intentionally touch everyone's stuff. And then the, the fact that he turned out to have it. Even if someone apologizes and you're like, okay, fine, what can he do? There may be a time where Mitchell has to cool off. That time may not be a week or even a month. And we all may say, ah, oh, get over it. But if you're directly affected by that, that it doesn't mean forever. It means for right now, he might still be hot at him. It, it, it could happen. First take. Talking about Donovan Mitchell and Ruby Gobert, and that gets us right into 10 questions early so we don't run out of time. I like Marco it. Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Fire away, Coos, wearing the essential personnel shirt. So now I'm actually going off the cuff. We'll start with Austin. Oh, was there ever, switching up. Was there ever a problem in any of your locker rooms because of, like, hygiene or, like, someone being sick and still coming in? Like, because that's what's happening right now with the Jazz. Like, Rudy Gobert yeah. and Donovan Mitchell are kind of at – at edges with each other, although they're saying they made up. So first of all, you know, in the NFL locker room, if you have a cold or something, you're not going to go to the, somebody and say, hey, I have a cold, I'm not showing up, especially somebody like me who's trying to make a roster. So you can never get away with that. Um, in the pros, nothing really that stands out to me. College, on the other hand, Murray State University, bunch of country boys from Memphis, uh, from the offensive line, there was a big case of ringworm going around, all right? And uh, mm-hmm. there's some staph infection as well. And I say offensive linemen because I've been very adamant about this. And if someone's got a problem with it, feel free to call on the show. But offensive linemen, they are the nastiest dudes on an NFL team or in a, in a football locker room. Simple as that. Um, it is what it is. It's part of their personality. It's part of their mentality. But we, we, we had a ringworm and a staph infection problem for a little bit. Thankfully, I didn't get it. It, it can be nasty, though, man. But uh, besides that, nothing major is in terms of illnesses. Yeah, I, I wonder how that would impact. Like, I've never really dealt with that even at a workplace, you know? Well, uh, we, I mean, especially here, like, at least, you know, over on WAP side, because that room is shared by so many people. Yeah. If someone even remotely is sick and the other people know about it, you're like exiled for at least a week. They don't yeah. want to, they don't want anything to do with you. If they see you in the building, they're upset about it. Listen, there's a lot, I guess, that, uh, you know, we have like an editing machine that we all, kind of edit on uh, in TV. Uh, so I'd say there, some of the equipment that we use, but even in this, I'm not even just talking this coronavirus time. I mean, obviously we're extra cautious now and maybe some of these things are things we should be always thinking about anyway, you know, just in terms of the common cold and flu and everything else. But uh, to be honest with you, this business could be the worst. Now we're fortunate we don't have a bunch of shows in here. We're the only show. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of places that use the same mics. Oh, yeah. For six, seven shows. And well, well that's and, probably not the best thing to do. And that's Heck one no. of the things that they started doing was, you know, I mean, you guys didn't need them because you're the only ones that use this room. But, you know, we have our own little mic screen, uh, mic screen. Mm-hmm, yeah. that I'm supposed to bring around, which I forget all the time. Just put it's it so on your belt buckle. <laughs> walk around. Like, that would be a my own. I want my name on them. I like color it. That's what know? I did. Where oh, is yeah, it? Did you want some like, uh, what do they call those? Bedazzled? bedazzled stuff, yeah. <laughs> yes, I watch bedazzled Cash, stuff. Cash Money Martino? I like right. it, man. That idea. would be a look, right? With with a little windscreen buckle to my belt with essential personnel on my shirt. Hey, Cash Money Martino, hey, let's uh, get it. Anybody out there, I know it's tough times, but when we get rocking again, or even now, if you want your business on my mic screen. Ooh, <laughs> I love that. Sell the windscreen.
windscreen. And also, if you want your business on my giant um, thermos here, too. That's why you keep it 64 white. 64 ounces, yeah. I mean, look at look at all this real estate right here. You can't afford not to put something on there. That'll so say. much space. Business is that good. Business <laughs> Hey, just, just throw the show, just sipping on it, just... You can, oh. Hey, they got the bottom too, by the way. Oh, the bottom for sure, dude. When I'm really chugging it, Brent. When I'm really thirsty. And then you can get a like coaster it. all together. Oh, all I it. like if it. If we get the mic screen, the windscreen, whatever you want We're to call it, well. and, and your water bottle, yeah. you guys know business is good. We're doing Say no well. more, man. Let's go. <laughs> all right, so we'll start with the question that Brent was talking about. Brent, uh, what's the hardest thing you've had to build at home? Uh, okay, so this is easy for me. All right, and it hasn't been a lot. <laughs> There's two things on my list, and it stops there. Okay. Uh, one is when Steph and I first got married, we ended up in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and uh, you know how uh, you hit the you, you shoot the gun on the registry and all that, and people oh, yeah, send yeah, you yeah. gifts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is really the be- really one of the best parts about getting married. Are you allowed to just, just boom, boom, Are you allowed to just put money as the option? You could probably. Okay. Yeah. I think get some of that. Have but, some class <laughs> But anyway, one of them was like a grill. Okay. Yeah. Right? Oh, and so I've somebody been there. got us a grill. <laughs> yeah. This thing. Mm. Was unbelievable. Yeah, it's the hardest thing I ever put together. Yeah, it was a gas grill. Sure, they have to be easier than they were twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, because I put one together about three years ago. It, it had sucks. like a million pieces. Yeah, I'll tell you the other one that you, you wouldn't think was difficult, but it was the second hardest thing was putting together a basketball hoop at outside. Oh one to yeah, put, you know with the one with the, like the, you put the water in it or sand in it to yep. hold it, not like cemented into the ground. No, I got the you. Basketball hoop was a pain in the. I remember butt. my like parents. Three pieces? No, you'd think so. It wasn't. It was. I don't know if it was just the specific kind, but it was second on my list mm. of most pain in the like. You just wanted – you couldn't drink enough beer. <laughs> I remember my parents getting into a big uh, big argument making or putting together our trampoline for us when we were younger. I can imagine that, you know, because he had yeah. all those springs. There was a lot of tension on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it can be a rough one. And then it's I, all about the directions. Again, now everything's on YouTube, so it probably makes it a little bit easier. Good point. But sometimes the directions are just freaking awful. Probably didn't point. help that I broke my collarbone literally right after we made it, so. But it probably doesn't help, too, that I'm like, On the trampoline? On the trampoline. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm as dumb as a box of rocks when it comes dude, to putting what, something together. Was so. there anything cooler <laughs> as a kid than having a kid with a trampoline, like when your friends had trampoline? Oh, but, dude, that was the place to be, man. You were the, you were the cool kid oh, if you, you had a trampoline. Oh, you were the cool kid. Did you have to sign? the waiver? Did you guys do the, the waiver policy where if a kid came over, like a new kid could be out of town, kind of well, sketchy looking individual, rough around the edges. He had to sign the waiver saying if he got hurt, he couldn't sue. That's good because did, did by the way, the insurance, uh, if you like insurance won't sign off around. on some of those. Heck no. Did you guys do that, Coos? It didn't last very long because like I said, it broke my collarbone. Like it, We had it for <laughs> so five minutes. It. I broke my collarbone and they gave it to our neighbors. So we were just sneaking to our neighbor's house to, to jump. <laughs> That's Man. like cruel. You, yeah. you, get the, yeah. you get your trampoline taken away, and they give it to your neighbor. Well, so you so got that's pretty messed up. So so Whenever you go, out, you go to bed at night, you look out the window, and there's a trampoline that you broke and you a collar. The, the kids that you don't like those snotty yeah. kids yeah. next door are using your trampoline. Here's what happened: is I broke my collarbone playing basketball, and then a month later, once it healed, we got a trampoline, and then I got on the trampoline and rebroke my collarbone. So. It was bad. I do think uh, somebody does insurance probably tell you, but I think there are some insurance companies yeah. like won't insure trampolines. No, they won't. I it was a big really. thing, and I think my parents realized that afterwards, and they were like, "All right, we're we're five minutes into owning this thing. We already got an injury. Let's get it out of Dude, here." Trampolines are the best growing up, man. Yeah, I have fun, so though. much. I mean, that's where like all our business went down. Whether it's jumping on have the trampoline, you, trading Pokemon cards, it was on the trampoline. Yeah. Have you yeah. been on one recently though? Like I went on no, one I can't say like last year, and I really thought my legs were gonna snap. Like I was like, "How did I get on these things and not like fear for?" My 
my life. <laughs> I've been on one in a minute. All right, real quick. Would you, have you put anything together? Gr- the grill was so it, it was a grill slash smoker, man. And and why I opted to get that, I have no idea. I'm an idiot. But uh, it, it was it was bad. It, it was difficult. Um, especially like doing it outside in Florida, where it's pretty you know toasty, and I sweat a lot. So a lot of frustration going through me there. All right, yeah. uh, send them in if all you right. want. We got it on uh, social media. We asked the question: toughest thing you built since everybody's doing all these uh, hardware and homeware pro- projects. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> All right, Austin. Uh, LaShawn McCoy says he wants to play for two more years. Uh, do you think the Jags should t- take a look at him? And then the other side is, if not, where do you think or what team do you think should consider him? Ooh, um, he can definitely play two more years if he wants to. I just want to see it happen in Jacksonville. Um I think where you'd bring Shady McCoy in is obviously in the passing game, and he wasn't really utilized that much even in Kansas City um, in that role. You know, there is a little bit of injury concern with him, obviously. Um, he hasn't played a full season, and keep in mind, the offensive genius that is Andy Reid chose to actually bench him straight up um, in the Super Bowl, and that says a lot coming from Andy Reid, who's been a big Shady McCoy supporter, obviously had him in Philadelphia as well. Don't want to see him in Jacksonville. If I could picture him on a team, man, I mean, it's hard just off the top of my head to, to think. Um, I would I would probably venture a guess possibly on a cheap deal, like maybe a team like L.A., like the Rams, who, um, you know, because he can be versatile when he's healthy, especially in that Sean McVay offense. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to L.A. All right, Brent. Uh, Christian McCaffrey kind of broke while the show was going on, but he got an extension of four years. Um, making him the highest paid running back, do you think he should be? And do you agree with them doing the extension? Uh, well, yeah, you got to keep him. He's the most dynamic player on your football team. He's one of the most dynamic players in the league. I've got a little concern with McCaffrey is that they use him almost too much. So that's up to them to put other people around him. How rule will use him might be different. than I mean, they almost just wore the guy out. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, man. He's incredible. Uh, a couple of important notes here. Should he earn, I don't, That's a lot of money. That's a, that's $16 million per for a running back? Mm-hmm. Now, he's not necessarily that. See, when they did this deal, they must have said, hey, he's not just a running back. He's right? the offense. He, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, but he is he is combination receiver running back. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, is he the most dangerous guy in the NFL? Um, I would say the – I mean, to see, I think dangerous, I think of, like, the home run capabilities. So, like, Saquon, to me, sticks out a little bit. I mean, but I think – Hey, we saw this but, guy against Jacksonville, no, home hey, run capabilities. Well, we saw a lot of people against Jacksonville last year, Brent, <laughs> and there's a lot of home run capabilities. We saw, a lot of home runs being hit. We saw Derrick Henry two years ago against Jacksonville, home run capabilities. I think Christian McCaffrey is the most dynamic player in the NFL. So, I think, yeah, in terms of danger, I think he's definitely up there. Uh, interesting. Uh, but I, I would say he's earned – this extension, whether $16 million is too much or not, I don't know. The fascinating part here is the Jags could have had McCaffrey. They yeah. picked Fournette instead. So add another guy to that draft of who they could have had, and they picked. And honestly, i got to be honest with you, I didn't. I was surprised McCaffrey went top ten. I, I wondered about his durability. I wondered about running between the tackles. He's that was a the different biggest kind of me. guy, right? Yeah. And uh, he's been excellent. Yeah, the biggest thing for me was between the tackles, and he's obviously uh, crushed all those haters, like like myself. So. All right, Austin, uh, name one player from each side of the ball for the Jags that could make or break the Jags' season. This year? This this coming year, yeah. Ooh, oh, okay. Um, offense, you know, 
keep throwing me softballs, Coos. It's got to be Gardner Minshew. <laughs> I, you know, know. I, I, mean, I thought about making that a rule that you couldn't say him. But... Um, yeah, I'm going Gardner Minshew for sure. I mean, <laughs> you can't the... say him. I'm still going Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Gardner <laughs> Minshew for sure. Even if I couldn't say him, I'd probably lean towards Gardner Minshew. Uh, the defense, though, it's a little more intriguing because to me the, the the simple answer would be josh allen right you lose calais campbell um he's essentially the leader now that defensive line you need him to step up in a big way but as it sits right now and keep in mind i don't know how the draft's going to shake out yet i think trey herndon is the most important guy on defense because what they think of him right now is he's got to be the guy that covers the one receiver and that's a very important role, a very important position. And like I said, I don't know how the draft's going to shake out yet, but if they don't address the cornerback position early on in the draft, it's got to be Trey Herndon. All right, Brent, um, what do you think they could do to make the NBA horse tournament more exciting, or <laughs> is there nothing they can do? How about dunk? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, but you got to make really even have for a horse thing? I mean, Okay, then we can we can align people. You know, if you have, I get like the Paul Pierce one was against Levine, so you mm-hmm. kind of got old and new. I understand what they were doing there. So if you can't, no. you're not going to throw down three hundred. We know Paul Pierce is going to try to dunk well, and tear something and get off the wheelchair. And I'd also and, yeah. say like you had uh, Mike Connolly playing in his home court, which is like NBA regulated basketball court, and then you've got some of the people playing on like a. Probably one of the basketball nets that you put together. You know, yeah, like it's like it, you could have better, you could better organize that, match up better for that purposes, and at least have one where you you're gonna basically have a dunk contest. Thank you. You know, yeah. I mean, I understand some of the conflicts with it, but have one. I mean, we didn't see a dunk, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like going to a baseball game and going to an all star game or going to do anything and not having a home run. Listen, it's not like going to a football well, game and not having a touchdown. The problem with it is then if it's a dunk thing, Levine's gonna win. No, like it's, it's already over. Well, no, but I know, but that's my point. Is like don't match up with Pierce in that. Then so no. whoever just have one matchup where they, you you were allowed to dunk, like wrestling does. Like you have one yeah, matchup yeah. where you're allowed to do well, something off the wall. See, here's what I think they should do. I think they should focus on a dunk contest, but don't make it live. Make it like a highlight film where we don't see oh, how, cool. how many dunks that it took you to actually pull it off. All we see is the final product. So you put these guys against each other. They go dunk for yeah. dunk. We go back and forth. And then, you know, the, the crowd can decide, wow, that dunk was insane. And we don't have to see, well, he missed the first but one. He missed the second have one. Have Grayson Allen in it. He could win it. Yeah. There based go. on video yeah. alone. Exactly. So <laughs> but that's also, I would say what they could do is something we were talking about on our podcast was do that, pre record it, and then also have someone that, like, asks them questions. So so you show a few shots, and then almost like reality TV, you know, you like pan off to the side, and they're yep. sitting there. They answer for a few questions about them, uh, you know, career-wise, tell a story, something like that, and then go back to the game, and you can kind of like pick up the speed and keep the flow going a little bit, is what we thought, at least. Yeah, I just want dunks set to the the soundtrack of Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone, and we're all good, man. Just tie it to the Danger Zone the you whole time. You guys play, by the way, growing up, you play horse or pig? Horse. Ooh, good call. Because I, I played horse all the time. I got to Ohio, and they were like, we're playing pig. I'm like, what the hell is pig? Oh, geez, yeah, no, we, like, we, I never we heard of both it. of them. We played horse. I, I mean, I, I guess we're a kind of a, a farm animal equal opportunity employer, <laughs> where we, we did both of them. But we're, but we're also on that tip 21, though. You on know, that tip 21? Oh, yeah. Oh, Brad, no, no tip 21? Not tip 21, just 21. Oh, tip 21. Where you tip, you go back down to... 
Zero to zero. Games will oh, last yeah, for like yeah, four yeah, yeah, hours. Okay, 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 okay. I, gotcha. I, thought, I, I just hadn't called Brent, it back. Brent looked at me like, uh oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. Those games would last like four hours because oh, someone would tip. Stakes have never been higher. We than those play games. knockout upstairs. So, you know, marshmallow oh, baseball has see? gotten a, a lot of attention, but we yeah. play knock. I actually haven't played much, but Steph plays, and uh, if I go play, I'll win. But the kids have the Nerf hoop up, yeah. and we go play knockout. That's upstairs. gonna be an East Coast thing because we didn't call it knockout. We called it lightning. Hmm. Yeah. Never heard of lightning. Yeah, yeah. Night, we called it knockout. Yeah, you ever guys play around the world? Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like we have like the things like kind of yeah, the different spots on the court. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. And All you right. got to go back and around. Correct. You know? Correct. All right, so awesome. My last question for you is uh, because the weather's not that great today, I was wondering what's the worst weather game you can remember playing? Oh, oh, well, that's that Vaseline game you talked about. Well, I mean, there's a Vaseline game in the NFL when we played in Tennessee, but by far... Well, there's actually two worst weather games. Number one in the in the pros, I want to say my first year or second year, we played in Carolina, and I'm not sure if you've ever seen this picture with Scobie posted where he's getting uh, oh, I think the rain. D- Daryl Smith, I think it was Daryl Smith, giving the piggyback ride out of the tunnel. Yeah, there was so much rain, like I can't even. I can't even paint a picture uh, for you people listening of just how sloppy that field was. And I'll never forget. I can't remember who the running back was, but me and Daryl Smith, so it was like a pitch or it was like a screen. Me and Daryl Smith go for the tackle. I wrap the guy up, and like we do, kind of do like a, like a gator roll, basically. Well, it was so slippery where I wrapped him up. He stood on his feet, and he kept on running. Like it was, It's literally a crazy play. I'll have to show it to you, Brent, after the show. Um, I can go to the NFL Game Pass. But it was absolutely insane. Thankfully, that they called is that his knee was down. But that game was just sloppy, to say the least. And then the, the, the biggest cold-weather game I ever played in, Edgar, Wisconsin, 2004. Um, there was three feet of snow. Ooh. And, yeah, and they had to take, like, Tractors and try to sh- like shove off the field. <laughs> didn't really do it, man. Like playing in like in like two feet of snow after it was all said and done, it d- didn't even make any sense. It wasn't even football. That's anymore. It was wild. like sand football. By the way, back to the monsoon game, Carolina. Yeah. Blaine Gabbert made a throw in that game that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You were like, holy cow, look at that arm strength. I mean, the arm strength that he made this pass with. If Jags fans, I think, know who I'm talking about, I can't remember the receiver. I don't know if it was Michael Thomas or something that caught okay. it. Okay. Maybe even like a Jarrett Dillard uh, would make sense. Gosh, you're going way back now. But it was a heck of a throw in that range. I mean, it was a nasty, nasty day. I wasn't there for that one, uh, but it was a nasty day. Hey, one more thing. Uh, uh, the NFL just came out with off-season workout programs and minicamps addendum. They've reached with the, the players as well. And it basically says that the club may conduct classroom instruction workouts and non-football educational programs using Skype or any other appropriate platform on a virtual basis. They're calling it the virtual period. Be interesting to uh, hear more about that over the next (laughs) couple of days. We're going to have Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Day tomorrow. Plus, we'll talk more football, of course. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you on TV tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com.